Hey guys, welcome back to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. We're at episode 18 now. We're uh, taking a look at the uh, end of April and the beginning of May in 1996. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me, Steve Ekstad, for this venture into May of 1996. Steve, <laughs> welcome back to Monday Warfare. Yeah, man, we're finally back at it. It's been a while. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the summer off. We're, uh, we're heading back into this thing. We're not too <laughs> far off from uh, Nitro going to two hours. Which at that point, we're going to do one episode of Raw, one episode of Nitro, every episode of Monday Warfare so that we can give the proper attention to what's going on in the battle because it really becomes a real battle at that point. Uh, but for right yes. now, it's uh, still one hour of Nitro, one hour of Raw. So for the time being, it's two episodes of Nitro, two episodes of Raw per episode here of Monday Warfare. And we're kicking things off with April 26th, Steve. Uh, before we do, we're going to get into, uh, obviously, we typically cover some of the basic news and notes and things in WCW at this time. But it's just, it's great to be back. It's great to talk about the war. The war is really, it's coming upon us, if you know what I'm saying. It's getting here. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very close to the entire landscape of wrestling changing forever. We're not far off from that. That's right. And uh, we got a few pieces of news and notes. And lucky you, Steve, we're back just in time. No Hulk Hogan. He's finally gone. Yes. Months and months of this guy putting himself over, beating up 46 people, no selling chairs while he beats guys up. No selling finishers of not just longtime wrestlers like Ric Flair, but no selling finishers to guys like the Giant popping up, beating them up, clearing the ring. It's Hulk Hogan to the rescue everywhere we turn around. And uh, supposedly, Demelts claims he's gone till August. We know that's a little bit off, but we won't get into that just yet. Hulk Hogan is gone for the time being, though, which is a good thing. He's off to film a movie. Uh, supposedly, Hogan said... He will do no more jobs, Steve, when he comes back. No more jobs for the Hulkster. What do you make of that? Uh, it's, it's no lie. <laughs> um, but no, it is it is what it is. It's like he, he's jobbed enough. And, uh, he's well, like he's can, you, can, you, can, can you count on one hand? If, if you were an animal that had like three, three fingers, can you count on one hand how many fucking jobs he's done? Because I can't. I don't know no, what he's even I mean, referring to. He, no more jobs. I, I did do that one job to Arn Anderson by whatever the hell that was, but fuck that. No more jobs. <laughs> right. By the right. Hulkster. I, well, I think he's looked pretty weak compared to what oh, we're really? used to. Oh, really? I, I'm, I, I must mean, have misunderstood episodes, those episodes but, uh, no, not, where he was no selling the job. real quick. He knew he yeah. was leaving to film a movie. He went in that day and changed the script Everything. on Nitro. Yes. He said, no, nah, you know what? I was gonna, the giant was supposed to leave me laying. I was supposed to get stretchered out, and that explains me leaving the company for a couple months. Makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, he's done it in yeah. the past in the WWF to go make movies and, and other things like that, but not here in WCW. No, no, no. He comes in. He says, you know what? I changed my mind. The giant's not going to even stretcher me. He's not even going to lay me out. I'm going to beat his ass, Ric Flair's ass, Arn Anderson's ass, Kevin Sullivan's ass, and pretty much anybody else I feel like on the way out of the company here for a couple months. And that's Hulk Hogan. But you know what he said after all that? No more jobs, brother. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. But the good news is he's I, gone, I, Steve. I'm a, I'm, a Hogan, I'm a Hogan guy. I'm not. But it's hard for me to defend this. But to be fair, it's been a long time since we've watched some of this stuff. And... Um, <laughs> the big thing is, is that it, like, it just kind of got very stale and it's just like, here we go again. What's Hogan going to do this time? So it was, it seemed like one thing after another, after another. So this is refreshing that he's gone. Uh, no more jobs when he gets back, whether he's been doing jobs or not. 
he wasn't lying if that was said because I'm trying to think of Luger. The first time he jobs. That's the first time he jobs. Oh, off the top of my head, I can remember him dropping a Luger. Uh, I can't say that for a fact. I'm to think, that's uh, that's uh, not I'm, too I'm far away, to right? Think of like the, Luger's the 97. Oh, is that night? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was yeah. that in 96. <laughs> no, because it's the Giant and Hogan at right. Hogwild. Yeah. And then. Yeah, that seemed too early. Luger, You're right. Or Luger and Hogan is Road Wild. Right. You're right. I'm trying to think. I don't remember Starcade. I, I don't know. Like, we'll figure it out when we get there, clearly. But, Surely, um, brother. He, he, he wasn't lying. No, and before we get going, I just want to remind everybody to head over to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. 14 tiers there, but the favorite tier of mine is the all-access tier. Only five bucks, Steve. The Watch Long series is part of that all-access tier at $5, and you guys are going to hear us cover Saturday Night's Main Events, Clash of the Champions, and of course WCW and WWF Main Events here from the Monday Night War era, which has uh, been quite a bit of fun so far, the good and the bad. No, definitely a great deal, and also um, we'll be going back and throwing on like what WrestleMania twelve in your house, good friends, uh, Slamboree sure. ninety six. Yes, that's uh, all. Those another... are all coming up in the next week or two, so it's a perfect time to join our Patreon dot com slash WrestleCopia account because that all access tier will get you all those shows. Steve just said that Slamboree ninety six. WrestleMania 12, In Your House, Good Friends, Better Enemies, but also shows from the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Yeah, we're in WWF 1993 in the Grenade right now. We're going to be doing USA specials, hopefully some handhelds in the future, maybe even some uh, European tour shows. So a lot of fun going on. March to WrestleMania 9 going up within the week. So uh, check that out. That's Bam Bam and Undertaker, Macho Man, Yokozuna. Good stuff all around. So this is the time to sign up for Patreon mm-hmm. here with the uh, WrestleCopia brand. Uh, but for right now, we're going to continue on with this uh, episode of Monday Warfare. We're going to talk Brian Pillman. We talked a lot about his accident and his injury in the last episode or two of the, the Monday Warfare show, but this week, DeMeltz uh, announces that Brian Pillman had plastic surgery on his face back on April 25th and re- was released from the hospital the next day. He had four steel plates put in his face. Bruce Beefcake style, huh? He has one more operation to go, Steve, to remove the steel rod that was put into his ankle in his uh, first ankle operation. Obviously, we know he has ankle troubles going forward and can't really move the, the, the foot from here forward in his uh, wrestling career. Yeah, that, that what was it, a Hummer, a Humvee, Humvee accident? Yeah. He um, flew out of it, yeah. That, that pretty much ruined his career to the point where he was never the same. Obviously, the gimmick and the the promos and things like that, he could sell you to the arena and get you to get invested in his matches. But the matches just didn't deliver on a level that we were ex- like you would expect from a Brian Pillman. But then right. again, and, uh, like his I, I, matches in WCW were going south anyway. Right. <laughs> prior to the injury, he started. You know, he was he was putting on weight, not in a negative way, but in a non Brian Pillman way. Like he couldn't do the the Brian Pillman style we were used to. Is more of a normal typical you know wrestler at that point there was no more flashy air pillmans and things like that going on with Brian. but that kind of changes with the gimmick too but it, it's just unfortunate at this time there was no observer coming to my house on a weekly basis there was internet but it, it was i i didn't get a lot of brian pillman information at this point on the internet so but it was still blatantly obvious to me it's just a fan a teenage fan at this point that he couldn't go like he used to so even though he could back it up with the angles and the promos, 
I didn't see him really getting that revenge or or covering his ass as far as what he's promising. So it just really it really hurt his character overall. The only thing that would make up for that was the you know the Pillman nine millimeter gimmick. But other than that, uh, Brian Pillman from this point forward, great character, but he couldn't back it up in the ring anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, it just wasn't there, and that, and I think that's part of the reason for his downfall is he could never really accept it or. And he never gave the ankle time enough to heal. Um, no, if he no. would have done that, he probably. That's that old school mentality, though, Steve. This is pre. You know, he's not getting guaranteed yeah. contracts here. I mean, not 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 full guaranteed contracts. Certainly not in 1996. So you're just trying. You're you're trotting out there the way you are because you're trying to make a buck. I mean, and look what it did to Paul Orndorff back in '87, '86, '87. I mean, it. it yeah. He was never the same. I mean, he continued to wrestle for a very long time after that, but he was still never the same. Yeah. So we go on with the the news here. We're going to talk just a little bit about Eric Bischoff and the Johnny B. Bad situation at this point. We know Johnny B. Bad left WCW on not so good terms. He joined the WWF, got a hell of a payday from Vince McMahon, who saw him as a, a top-tier player coming in. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work out that way. Eric Bischoff responds to some of the comments that Johnny B. Bad said, or Mark Marrow has said, since leaving the company, Eric Bischoff says in an interview with Mike Mooneyham for the Wrestling Observer Hotline, uh, this is pre-internet, guys, so it's the Wrestling Observer Hotline, and the Charleston Post-Courier, that it was an outright lie regarding Johnny B. Bad's claim that after his contract expired, he was only making $150 per match. Bischoff says, we have never, ever paid Johnny $150. He knows it, and if it gets to it, I can supply copies of the checks to prove it. His contract was up. He was given a new contract and he was being paid the same rate under his old contract. There was no change in his compensation. He's an emotional guy and he may have meant something else rather than what he said. So Bischoff's kind of trying to defend Johnny there a little bit or Mark Merrill there just a little bit. But then he goes on. He says the problem with Johnny was that he's lazy. And he's spoiled and he didn't want to leave home. He didn't want to do things that the rest of the talent were doing like sting, Lex Luger, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage. I can see Hulk Hogan doing whatever they told him. And that's promote the business. Now, Marrow Johnny spent a lot of time talking in schools and churches and youth groups. And that's cool. Says Bischoff. I've even gone to one or two of those shows with Johnny. I'm very supportive of that. But the reality is, and this is business talking, that's something Johnny wanted to do, and, and it made him feel good about himself. That didn't necessarily translate to major public relation opportunities for WCW. They didn't hurt us, and intangible, it helps us. Bischoff is later critical of Marrow's leaving in regard to him talking about how important his family was and his daughter are to Johnny B. Bad and obviously Rena Marrow Sable at the time. How he claimed, Merrill claimed that his daughter's reactions made them drop the Kimberly angle where Johnny B. Bad had picked up Kimberly as his valet, bringing up that WWF did an angle with Marina Merrill, Sable, where she started out with Triple H and she would end up <laughs> jumping over to Johnny B. Bad or Mark Merrill, if you will. Sorry, flipping names here, but basically it led to Rena Merrill being on the road as a traveling wife of Mark Merrill, his new valet in his corner. So it's uh, interesting here. Bischoff kind of defending the situation like, well, Johnny's a passionate guy. Maybe maybe he misspoke accidentally. And then 
the next sentence is he's lazy and is spoiled. So it's it's yeah. Bischoff being Bischoff. <laughs> well, I don't buy that at all because when we was doing those um, pay per views and stuff for Patreon, we would talk about how Johnny B. Bad and and DDP were coming up with new moves like every single match. It seemed like they were really going out there and trying to do better than the last time they were out there. So to call him lazy is is a reach because he was one of those guys that stood out and actually looked different and wasn't just going through the motions <laughs> like almost everybody on top in, in WCW. Well, I think um, there's two different kinds of lazy. There's Hulk Hogan lazy, where you can make millions, brother, right? <laughs> and not, not have to right. do shit in the ring. And then there's Bischoff's lazy, which is you can do whatever the hell you want in the ring. He's talking about lazy promotional-wise, business-wise. He missed one event, right? And Bischoff didn't like it. And then he's trying to. If those are Bischoff's words, well, that, look at his wife. She's in an angle with another man. No, it made sense to quickly get his wife on his side by Hunter treating him like shit. And you put him in a pretty high, you know, a pretty elevated feud as soon as he comes in. So uh, it's it's not apples to apples there. And yeah, he may be traveling more, but he's actually with his wife, and they could probably bring his daughter on the road with them if they wanted to for certain periods, you know, when school's out or whatever the case may be. So it seems like a little bit better situation for Marrow all around being in WWF initially. Um, It falls apart, but I mean, if I could take the options of staying at WCW and all this other crap and be away from my family and, or go to WWF and bring my wife with me, uh, I'm I'm thinking of taking my wife with me to WWF and getting the money. Yeah. I mean, hindsight though, I don't know. Where the best decision lies in that. Maybe he would have, you know, stuck around WCB longer and uh, got the Well, he wasn't going anywhere in WCW either, especially with everybody coming in. He would have just been further down the card. What the hell is that? (laughs) It's your boy. Is that Jaws? No, you know what that is? I know what that is. Holy shit. That's, uh, that's the shark. That's a shark, John Tenta. Apparently, is we we reported before that uh, they severed his contract. They were cutting contracts, getting rid of the fat. No, <laughs> no disrespect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. His contract was cut, was John Tenta's, but the shark is apparently sticking around, which I kind of figured because I remembered, you know, what, what was coming up still. And I don't know if you wish he had stuck around. Probably because you're getting paid for it. But uh, John Tenta's going to stick around. But he's no longer under contract with WCW, so it's going to be a per-appearance basis. So even though the shark was cut, I'm not a shark. I'm not a fish. Uh, we're going to see John Tinta stay around here at least for a couple more months. <laughs> oh, my God. Just thinking about I don't know if it's a good thing like you said. Yeah, yeah. yeah what's uh, to come is bad. I don't know what he gets paid for it. Maybe it's worth it financially. Oh, hopefully. Who am I to say? Hopefully. We're going to move on now to WCW Monday Nitro, April 29th, 1996, Albany, Georgia. This Nitro is not live, though, Steve. It's taped last week, April 22nd. And there's a time change on the show. Instead of Nitro kicking off at 8.55 to screw with Raw, it's actually 7 p.m. due to the NBA playoffs. So Nitro starting off pretty damn early. And and uh, by the end of the show, I'm going to tell you, I think this is the episode. I'm, I'm going to see what's on here yet, but... I believe this is the episode I didn't realize Nitro changed times. So I missed it initially when it first aired. And I was really pissed off based on one of the matches on this show, which we'll get to in a little bit. 
So they, they made the call that Nitro wouldn't be held live because Eric Bischoff and several other of the WCW higher-ups and some of the top wrestlers were actually in Japan at this point for a New Japan Tokyo Dome show the same exact night. So they made the call to tape this back on the 22nd episode of Nitro for the 29th. And uh, lucky us, Steve, no Hulk Hogan, as we've already announced. So there's an episode of Nitro, no Hulk Hogan. They're going to have to pivot and actually put other guys over. And as we kick off the show, it's Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, and Steve McMichael with Macho Man Pepe. Macho Pepe right here in front of the Sprint Center. Aha! And uh, they're hard selling the Slamboree pay-per-view coming up. The matches, they're going to announce them all night. They hard sell them the entire show. Typically, that's a good thing, Steve, when you're putting over your pay-per-view matches. Unfortunately, considering this pay-per-view, probably not a good idea. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> like we'll we'll talk about it once they start announcing some, but sure. Uh, yeah, uh pretty terrible. Just a terrible idea for a pay per view, especially yeah. when you're in the middle of a war. I will say it's kinda nice that they're actually shilling a pay per view instead instead of shilling Hawk Hogan. Hogan's not there, so they're not talking about him twenty four seven. Right, and so we announced that, we announced nice a lot of, of those dump truck matches on the last episode of Monday Warfare, so you guys may already have a clue of some of the things to come. We know there's a lot of very fake matches <laughs> come, coming up on that show as far as the lethal lottery is concerned. A lot of enemies facing each other, a lot of enemies teaming, a lot of friends and brothers facing each other. It's, uh, it's very lazy uh, put together, yeah. but we have plenty of time. To talk about that, we'll talk about Nitro right now. Tag team champions Sting and Lex Luger to the ring to take on number one contenders Harlem Heat, Steve. Uh, it's a rematch from WCW Saturday night where Jimmy Hart threw a towel in and the referee thought it was for the Harlem Heat. Unfortunately, causing the Heat to lose the match so they get the rematch here after they were screwed. The baby faces, I guess Luger's a baby face here, by de facto anyway, teaming with Sting. They dominate the first five minutes of the match going into the commercial break, but when we come back, Harlem Heat have full control of the Stinger. And the Heat get heat on Sting for the next several minutes. A double clothesline spot by Sting, though, allows him to hot tag to Lex Luger, who comes in with very shitty clotheslines, which I would expect nothing less of here in 1996. And the Harlem Heat toss Sting to the floor. They do manage to take over on Luger with a double team, and they hit the old wrecking ball, which we're doing 1993 WWF right now on the grade. Have we been doing 1993 WCW? You guys would know what the wrecking ball is via the wrecking crew. It's uh, basically you throw the guy up over your shoulder. The other guy comes off the top of the, the double axe handle. It is what it is. I mean, I'm just ex- describing what it was. <laughs> Steve, Jimmy Hart, yeah. though, who it manages Luger, but not Sting doesn't necessarily agree with it. So he's not always out there. But at this point, Jimmy Hart back to ringside, tosses the towel into Booker. He wants the referee to think Booker's thrown in the towel, but Booker waves it off. Oh, sucker. He's not giving it up. Stevie Ray then grabs Jimmy Hart, presses him into the ring. Booker goes after Jimmy, but during the distraction, Sting schoolboys Booker T and Sting and Luger get the pin 11 minutes into the match. So now Sting, even taking advantage of Jimmy Hart's interference, which Sting was never never cool with prior to this, and even here it leaves questions, was Sting really cool with what happened? He was just taking advantage of the situation. It's funny, we go back to the beginning where Sting and Luger have had issues now for, my God, eight or nine months, and you said, this lasts all the way till the NWO. I didn't necessarily believe you, Steve. I didn't remember them pulling this shit off every single week for fucking like eight months, but they're, they're still working on it here. and We're getting pretty damn close to the NWO. 
So uh, even yep. Sting taking advantage here. Schoolboy while Booker T is going after Jimmy Hart. So Sting's been really adamant about Luger not using Jimmy Hart. And here Sting takes advantage this time. He's not necessarily doing it on purpose. And I, I did air quotes there, by the way. But he does it. Right, yeah. I, I thought this was a good match. Solid Sting TV and, match. Yeah, solid TV match. Uh, Booker, Booker T, like, he really sticks out. He's really good. Uh, you can see it here. He had an awesome sidekick that was very well done. But uh, no, th- yeah, th- this stuff with Sting and Luger continues, man. I, I honestly, I don't think it stops until uh, Bash at the Beach is when it stops. Uh, and that's one of the bad things with the NWO is that this, um, this, there's never a payoff here, which kind of stinks. Yeah, we but, talk uh, about who drove the limo. You know, the, the the old crash or who raised the briefcase during the old. Uh, the Vincent King, King of the Ring, yeah, absolutely. But nobody really talks a lot about whatever happened to that Sting and Luger issue. Was was Luger really crooked? You know, it's just, it just kind of yeah. disappears. And it's such a these other stories were like one offs, right? It's like people go, "What yeah. happened? Who did this? Who was that driver? Who was the guy that raised the briefcase?" This went on for like eight months or eight nine months, and then there's no payoff, and nobody ever questions was Luger really crooked or was he like screwing sting or was he really stings friend and he's just aloof so it's never really explained and nobody ever questions what happens but i i don't don't think people remember it because it did last so long like it went months and months and months and it's not like they're doing similar stuff but it's not the exact same thing every week so it's it's nice and they even do something different next week one of some of the better booking as far as long-term like long-term storytelling but again, there's no payoff, so it kind of nobody really remembers it. But you um, kind of have to wonder: is it long term because they have no idea where they're going? So they just keep going. Let's come oh, up with something else. Possible. <laughs> it's definitely possible. But um, even like even on commentary, they do a great job of like you know Bischoff will say one thing, Mongo will say something, Heenan will say something different. So they're all confused. Like none of them really know for sure what's going on. And we'll talk about it on the next episode. Not next episode of the warfare show but next week's episode of nitro right what happens there even bischoff starting to think a little bit that nah luger would never do that yeah a lot of weird stuff going on yeah. and again i think it all goes back to what you just said they have no clue where they want to go with it so let's just keep it going yeah yeah <laughs> it is what it is the show also goes on and this is a, a hell of a, a surprise. It was uh the Steiner brothers taking on Fire and Ice, that's Scott Norton and Ice Train. We learned that Fire and Ice will team up in the lethal lottery. What luck that is, Steve. Meanwhile, the Steiner brothers will face each other in the lethal lottery part of Slamboree. I wrote fake. I mean, I could see one of these things happening, but both. And then you have public enemy teaming up. Savage and Macho or Savage and Flair teaming up, uh, Regal and Finley initially teaming up, and then uh, we'll yeah. we'll get to that when we get to it's. This is the laziest booking I've ever yes. ever ever seen. Right? I mean, ever. Like before, you can watch them the Battle Bowls, like a Stark Eight Ninety One. Teams are just completely random. Uh, they're just you do get Scott versus Rick, and you do get Michael Hayes versus Jimmy Garvin. They don't really play it up because but, it's very short term in the ring against each other, but. It's so yeah. few and far between that you're like, oh wow, yeah, I kind of like that. That's that's good shit. But this is like every match, every match, every team, every match is 
every team is tied together somehow. Yeah, it's and it's just like it's ridiculous. Like Macho and Flair, Macho and Savage against Arn Anderson and Eddie Guerrero. Like, what are the odds those four people get picked to make a match? Like, that's oh, impossible. So, um, yeah, just whatever. So we got the Steiners here taking on uh, Scott Norton and Ice Train. You may think, well, that kind of sounds like a train wreck, but it's not at all. Very surprising here. Ice Train actually looking good here. Does a leapfrog, a power slam. Good timing. In fact, the best timing I've ever seen uh, Ice Train have in the ring. And this guy's been on and off of the company going back to at least 1993. And then, oh, my gosh. Train eats a German suplex. Oh, my God. Almost a released German from Rick Steiner on ice train. These guys are too big. All four of these guys are too big to be taking some of the moves they all take during this match. Scotty comes in with an overhead belly-to-belly on Scott Norton. Scott Norton taking overhead belly-to-belly during the match. Norton takes over. He catches Scotty off the top rope, picks him up into a press slam, and walks around with him. Can you? How many guys do you see walk around with Scott Steiner over their head, power or press slam Scott Steiner. Then he walks through him. Scott Norton doesn't even try to run with the, with these clotheslines. It's hilarious. He walks into Scott Steiner with these clotheslines, yet they're still believable, Steve. If there was ever a, a human being on earth that could walk into you with a clothesline and you take a bump, it's Scott Norton. It looked real oh, yeah. to me, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this match was... Uh... You know, like you said, going in on that, this is going to be a train wreck, but it wasn't, man. They, no, they beat it was... the shit out of each other. They were dumping them. Uh, I, like I put in my notes, the Steiners can suplex anyone. Uh, like they do it a release German on ice train. Norton eats the overhead belly. Overhead belly, belly yeah. And it's just, yeah. Like, it's just like, uh, as long as their, their opponent is cool with it, they'll suplex you. Because you're not just going to take Scott Norton and say, you're going. Like, that's it. So no, and I have that I have that in my notes here. Yeah, about about these guys. So it's what made the match success successful for what it was. Because the match goes on, Scott Snyder catches Scott Norton in a hot shot, then makes the hot tag to brother Rick. And I love this. Rick Snyder shoots Norton off the ropes, tries a spinning elbow, and bounces off Scott Norton. Rick Steiner is bouncing off a guy. I mean, I, I just love it. Norton just standing there and Rick Snyder bounces off. It was just great, great stuff from the beginning. Four-way melee, all four guys in the ring. Ice Train nearly decapitates Scott Steiner with a big boot. And then Ice Train's turn to, to press slam Scotty. So Scott Steiner's taking press slams from Ice Train at this point. Scott Norton then clothesline. Well, first he clotheslines Scott Steiner. Very awkward, weird-looking situation. Clothesline Scott Steiner out of the ring. But behind their back, is there, those two are going at it. It's Rick Steiner with the Steiner line on Ice Train. Takes him down, makes the cover, picks up the win. Three minutes and 22 seconds. I wrote... What a hoss fight. I mean, just wow. And this is where the, the important part, kudos to the cooperation. Nobody had the ego here, Steve. Everybody was taking everybody's move. They were selling everybody's move. They came in there to have a good match. And I wrote two short, three minutes and 22 seconds. They did all this. And Train actually hung with the other three guys. I couldn't believe it. I can't believe I'm saying this, but give me more of this, Steve. Yeah, I'm with you. It didn't even. It felt like it was five or six minutes long. Yeah. Uh, it, it, like it, there was so much action in that, that. I didn't even realize it was that short. To be honest with you, that's right. surprising. No, I didn't either. But, when uh, I went back and read the time, I was like three minutes and twenty. Every move mattered. It was just uh, yeah. four guys just beating the crap out of it. It was so good. I wish they'd given it these was. guys like eight minutes on on a pay per view. Oh, 
tremendous. That would have been amazing. That would have been great. Yeah. Great way to open a show. Yeah. But um, I, it just kind of stinks that Norton and Ice Train didn't get, get along and Norton did not, didn't want any part of it. If I remember right, if I remember in the Observer, I think he told Bischoff, I'm leaving. I'll go back to Japan if this is what you're doing. So, um, <laughs> like, it, it stinks because, like you said, Ice Train was getting pretty good at the point where he was hanging with these guys and looked fine. Right. So, um, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened. And I think if they would have been able to keep him together a little bit longer and Norton, when he joined the NWO, could have right. turned on him and it would have meant something. But, um, no, nah, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, I would have loved an eight-and-a-half, nine-minute match between these two, four. That would have been excellent. Oh, it would have been, it would have been great. And, yeah. uh, whew, good stuff. And it's all, it comes down to cooperation. They, everybody cooperated. Nobody had the ego. Yeah. They all took bumps from each other. It was great. Scotty was taking bumps from Ice Train, for God's sake. So, uh, yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. It was, that, that, that's, that's key. I mean, yeah. People could have been dicks there. I'm like, I'm not selling your moves, but right. no, all four of them were more than willing to do it, and uh, it worked, and it paid off. This is a damn good match. It's promo time. Mean Gene Oakland out with Ric Flair, Leather Liz, and Woman. And the aisle way, Ric Flair isn't worried about his match with the Giant tonight. Ric Flair is the WCW champion, by the way, Steve. He's defending the title here tonight against the Giant. Flair then taunts Savage, using Liz as his weapon there. They, too, will team at Slamboree. More fake, because Macho Man and Ric Flair <laughs> teaming up at Slamboree. Wow, you don't get much more fake. If that was literally, if you'd booked the entire pay-per-view, and that was your story, Savage and Flair are a team, you could have got away with that all night long. Yeah. Based on their feud, based on the heat. Uh, imagine the Mega Powers exploding, and then there's Elite Lottery and Hogan and Savage have to team. You're going to get away with that all night, Steve. But when the oh, yeah. Steiners are facing each other and the public enemy are teaming and Fire Ice are teaming and Regal and Finley are teaming and all this other shit. Yeah, it's... Hawk and it's Animal are facing each other. each other. Right, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, that's another big one. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Come on, man. It's just... I mean, we're going to get into that on our Patreon show when we cover Slamboree. I hate to keep dwelling on it here, but... It, I hate Slamboree 96. It's one of the oh, worst, no doubt. It is the worst. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch a WCW 2000 pay-per-view over that. As the uh, promo goes on, woman says the giant is a small man uh, in compared to the nature boy. Uh, Miss Elizabeth still trying to figure out how to be a heel here, basically what you could tell from her promo and her mannerisms out here. But it's the main event tonight. It's Ric Flair defending the title against the giant. That's basically the story they're telling out here during the promo. And then, uh-oh, Steve. Oh, my gosh. It's our very first Blood Runs Cold vignette. Our world yes. is about to change. Oh, my gosh. Dave DeMelt speculates that it's Hall and Nash on the way in. I wrote, silly Dave. Could you imagine if Hall and Nash were like Glacier and, and, and Ernest Miller? Yeah, and like Mortis or something. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> Blood Runs Cold, man. So it's it's funny, DeMeltz is speculating that blood runs cold with Hall and Nash, but this is our very first vignette of what would eventually become known as Glacier and then all the other guys that follow. Speaking of eight speaking of eight months yes. <laughs> of build. Yes. Oh my god. Here we go. Oh, what a match this is coming up here. It's uh Lord Steven Regal. Yes, Lord Steven Regal, the one of the classic wrestlers of the nineties and and beyond, 
taking on the Belfast Bruiser, who you guys may know better uh, nowadays, is Fit Finley, Dave Finley. Finley, he loves to fight. They're not in a wrestling ring, though, Steve. They're in a parking lot. This is a parking lot fight is what it's billed as. There's some cars laying around. There's, there's a guardrail with fans on the outside of it. The match starts right away coming out of commercial break, and they're in that parking lot surrounded by those cars and the fans. Finley boots a car window in. It looked like a, the old uh, old school 91 Ford Escort to me without the hatchback. <laughs> anyway, I only know that because it was the first car I ever owned. But mine had a hatchback, so it was a little longer. Finley uh, grabs a cinder block because those are just laying around in parking lots and in cars and shit. Regal rubs Finley's face in the block and then on the blacktop. So these guys are just really laying on each other. I should point out at this point, these guys are two of the best technical wrestlers you've ever seen, especially Regal. But they're in a parking lot fighting, Steve. So Finley comes back. He grabs a, a donut tire and a fender and falls off of one of the cars while they're fighting. Uses those as a weapon because why not? He slams Regal on the hood of a truck. Regal comes back, does the same, winds up slamming Finley on a truck. Elbow drops. They trade elbow drops on the truck because that's just what you do when a guy's laying on the hood of a truck, Steve. Uh, Finley yeah. chokes Regal with a seatbelt, which, which Bishop calls a, a safety strap. For some reason, I don't know. It's like, is it like medical facility with Vince McMahon? He's choking him with a safety strap. I don't know. Did I you just hear the, the back leg uh, round kick? Yes, I did. Early on in the match, Bischoff calls a back leg round lot? kick in the middle of the bar. Yes, parking lot. Yes, I did. I I didn't write it down, but I did hear that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I was listening and I heard it and I'm like, are you shitting me? In a parking lot brawl, you get back leg round kick in. Come on, Eric. Come on. I was writing so much. That's the only reason I didn't write that down because I wanted to type in Bischoff says back leg round kick in the middle of a parking lot fight. Cause what a fuck. <laughs> and the very next move is a slam on the hood of a car. So it, that's Eric Bischoff. <laughs> so the match goes on. These guys are beating the living. I mean, literally beating the crowd. These guys, I should point out Regal's been in the business. What is this? 96. So Regal's been in the business since he was like, Illegal, 14, 15, something like that. Regal's been in the business like 15 years by this point almost. He's known Finley all that time. These guys are friends. The better friends you are, the more you beat the shit out of each other. That's what these guys do out here. And it just continues. Finley tries on purpose to punch his fist through a window. Lucky for him, it didn't break. We saw what happened when Goldberg broke a window. Uh, Regal tries the same thing. I think they were intending on this damn window getting broke on this car. They couldn't break it. Window or uh, Regal, not window. Regal does a forearm or a backhand into the same window as hard as he possibly can, and it still doesn't break. So I'm just happy for them that it didn't at that point. Match goes on. Uh, Fireman's carry drops Regal across the guardrail, holding the fans back. Uh, Regal comes back on Finley, sends Finley into the truck bed in the back of a truck. The guys are now both bleeding as they both climb on the top of the truck. Bischoff tells the cameraman to go wide, go wide. So I say boo to that. So it's clear not only Bischoff has some kind of production deal where he can tell people what to do and on the, on the, work in the cameras at that point, but it's like, dude, they're bleeding. Let it, let's see it on the TV. But yeah, they're, they're both bleeding at this point. The cameras do go wide and we get like faraway shots from here forward. Regal tosses Finley into a car window, which does smash at that point. Finley tries a tombstone on the blacktop, which luckily Steve Regal escapes. Regal tries his own pile driver on a car, but Finley backdrops Regal on top of the car. 
Uh, they fight a little more, and Regal finally nails the pile driver on top of the car to pick up the win. All of this, six minutes and 15 seconds. And as we go <laughs> out of this into commercial, Bobby Heenan realizes, this is Bobby Heenan being Bobby Heenan. Hey, that's my rent car After, you know, these guys beat the crap out of each other for 10 minutes on these cars. Right. So I'm not trying to take away from the match by that, but Bobby made me laugh at the end of the segment. But going back to the match, oh, my God, these guys beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, they just beat the living hell out of each other. And I will say, like, I know it sucks that they had to pan out and, like, get away from it because of the blood. But uh, Bischoff, like, towards the end was getting very uncomfortable with it. Like, you could hear him, like, some of the commentary that he was making was, uh, this is getting hard to watch type deal. And so he's like, director or producer, we need to stay wide. If it gets any worse, we'll have to go wider, that sort of deal. So he was really... They ended up doing it, but I think he was also trying to sell up just the brutality of this match because they were busted pretty good. They went, I think they broke like maybe two or three windows. Right. Four cars got destroyed. Um, hoods were destroyed. It's just a not a very safe wrestling environment, clearly, but they made it work. And I remember this as a kid, and it's like, what the hell's a parking lot brawl? And then you watch it, and I'm like, man, that was awesome. They just beat the hell out of each other. And I think at that moment, I became a big fan of of the Bruiser and Regal when I was a kid. Like this match was my selling point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never really smart enough to appreciate Regal for how good he was in the ring when I was a kid. But mm-hmm. this match was like, man, I want to see more of this. <laughs> this. This shit was awesome. Yeah, I think so I've told the story before with Regal uh, swimming around in my cousin's pool, and I go, you know who my new favorite wrestler is? I think because Sting had been in WCW. Sting had been my you know favorite for. Certainly 90, 91, 92. Um, and I go, I think it's Steve Regal. And he looks back at me and he goes, I was going to say the same thing. And I go, yeah. And it was because of his, his wrestling style. I really appreciate it from the time he broke into when Watts was running the company. So I was always a Regal fan, but this was different levels. This is like, whoa, this is not Steve Regal wrestling. It's so weird, the dynamic, too. They're both heels. Yet Regal's kind of the baby face because Finley's more of the he's he's a nasty motherfucker, pardon my French. Uh so you kinda yeah. baby face Regal here, but at the same time it's just two bad guys, you take your pick and they're beating the crap out of each other out there. I think I, I mentioned to you this uh, on Skype at some point when we were conversating. It was like reading Marvel comics or something like that, and every once in a while you get the villain, but then there's the villain of the villain. And so you got two bad guys going, and that was always a cool little classic fight you saw in one random comic every once in a while. And that's what this was here. It was, take your pick. Do you like Regal, your, your long-standing villain, or do you like this new villain that came in to avenge, you know, whatever? And these guys just beat the crap out of each other here. It was very entertaining. I almost thought it was the answer to WrestleMania 12, which had uh, just recently happened between Piper and Goldust, because that was, you know, half of that match was outside as well. I thought this was certainly better. I'm not going to take away the fact that Piper and Goldust did things that they weren't supposed to do, and they really beat the shit out of each other and risked life and limb, literally, to the point where Piper broke his hand. He, you know, he got ran over for real when he wasn't supposed to. You know, you put all that in there. I'm not questioning the the manhood of those guys, but no. entertainment wise, this was a, a better product. I thought. Yeah, I, it was just continuous. It was just a, a fight, like, whereas it felt like Goldust and Piper were trying to tell a story. Uh, it just started on the backlot brawl, and then it made its way inside. And I think 
think the OJ chase stuff kind of diminishes the severity of what yeah. they did. Yeah. Uh, like you remember that match for the OJ footage being spliced in, not necessarily. And the lingerie at the end of it. with And the lingerie at the end. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like you don't remember like Piper getting run over by a car. Legit is like the third or fourth thing that you remember from that match. And that, that should be number one. Like this sure. dude's in a, in a fake wrestling environment, so to speak. And, got hit by a car legit like <laughs> so like that should be the first thing that comes to your mind not oj footage and a dude in a thong in lingerie but right. um it is what it is uh i will say this is like the the follow-up to what happened at uncensored where Rigor got his face broke that's why we had this one but um no this was good stuff uh, i i loved it yeah and unfortunately finley's gone after this this is the end of finley's going back to austria and germany to work for otto vons after this for a little while and we don't see finley for quite a long time after this match unfortunately it's unfortunate yeah i would love to see more absolutely after that yeah no doubt oh yeah show goes on it's wcw champion the nature boy rick flair with woman and miss elizabeth in his corner taking on the giant rick flair is still taunting deborah mcmichael and the crowd at ringside my question is steve why the fuck is she at ringside every single show all of a sudden? Mongo getting angry on commentary during the show, during the match. Eric Bischoff trying to calm him down. The Giant ain't selling Ric Flair's shit throughout the, the entire duration of this match. It's basic Nothing offense. New. No. Uh, well, it's, he's learning from the Hulkster, brother. It's uh, <laughs> basic offense from the Giant on Ric Flair during the match. Flair does the, the flip up in the corner. He gets slammed off the top rope instead of a superplex it's the giant so you only need a regular suplex to make it look good so flair taking his uh typical bumps here the ladies then distract the giant who's attempting to choke slam the nature boy at that point but flair while the giant's distracted boom nails the low blow and oh the giant sells down he goes but it doesn't take long he's like the undertaker steve he sits up but Ric Flair on the offense, he takes over, he beats down the Giant, and he takes the brass knuckles out. Boom! Lays out the Giant, Steve. That's not fair. And out goes no. the Giant. He's out cold. And it's time, woo, for the figure four leg lock. Ric Flair locks it in. But like the Undertaker once again, the Giant sits up, grabs Flair in a chokehold while in the figure four. Flair has to release the hold. They're up to their feet and choke slam. Five minutes, 48 seconds. The Giant. Is the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion? Yeah, um, I don't know, man. This this felt very flat and out of nowhere, and uh, yeah, a little bit unnecessary. Um, out of nowhere is right. Uh, so like, it makes sense because of how where they go, and, and I, I guess it makes sense in that sense that they just want Flair and Savage to have like a blood feud. No title ramifications, things like that. Whatever that makes sense. And then obviously you got Sting and Giant, so that kind of gives you a title match on your pay per view now, uh, since that was announced as like a singles match. But now it's a title match. So that, in that regard, it makes sense. But this felt very flat. The match was uneventful. It was very basic. I don't know if that's because the Giant just isn't ready to do anything worth a damn in the ring. Or, or what the case is, or Flair's just going through the motions because he doesn't give a shit at this point. But this was this was bad. I didn't care for it at all. I mean, it, it's not what you'd expect from Ric Flair. And I, I get it. Everybody loves Ric Flair. But, man, this stuff in 96, his promos aren't very good. His matches are very repetitive and very boring. 
I don't know if he's checked out or what the issue is here, but he is not very good at this point. Yeah, he's not Ric Flair. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is either because it doesn't come off as lazy. It just comes off as a different human being altogether. Yeah, like his promos, well, it's always about the women. and Right. I have notes for next week, for his promo next week uh-huh. on the 5-6 show, so we'll get to it there. But even here, like all he cares about is a woman and Liz, talk to him, say this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, where's the Ric Flair that cares about his matches and his opponents? Yeah, he, he had... You know, million thousand dollar suits, thousand dollar shoes, thousand dollar necklaces, Rolexes, whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, like he talked about the, his opponent and he put over the match. This he doesn't even care about this title. He doesn't care about the giant. All he cares about is rubbed it in Macho's face that he has his woman. Right. Like that's all he cares about, and that's not Ric Flair. I get it, but it, it sucks. No, and it doesn't work out for him here either because it's a very abrupt title change. The Giant wins the belt out of absolutely nowhere here. So after the match, it's promo time. Mean Gene with the new champion, the Giant, and his manager, Jimmy Hart. Ric Flair gets to go home with the women, says Jimmy Hart. But Jimmy Hart gets to go home with the Giant, which is kind of creepy, and the championship. So Jimmy Hart, now the manager of the WCW Heavyweight Champion. The Giant says the belt's... Been his since Halloween Havoc 95. Now he proves it and rocks. That's, that's the giant. So he's the champion now. Uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, but Giant was scheduled to challenge Sting at the Slamboree pay-per-view. So now we learn that the Slamboree match will be a title match. So it went from Giant versus Sting to Giant defending the WCW title versus Sting. DeMelt says about the Giant winning the title. Some speculated last-minute booking, as did I, but the decision to go with the Giant as champion was made at least several weeks back before this Nitro, as apparently the Giant versus Sting was the main event match for WCW Slamboree that was always going to be a world title match. DeMelt says, No doubt the decision to have it happen when it did stems from the idea that the word would get out since it was taped a week in advance, and it would lead to a ratings boost. On April 29th TV, when WCW has to move Nitro for four weeks for, to the 7 p.m. time slot, which is true, and TNT's commitments would go to the NBA playoffs later in the evening. And uh, they thought this would immediately establish Nitro in the new time slot, the Giant winning the WCW title from the Nature Boy. And we're going to see how that does after we look at the uh, Raw show, and we'll check out the ratings at that point. So, segment of the night, Steve, was it... The Steiners against Fire and Ice in that three-minute and 22-second awesome fight. Was it Sting and Luger against the Heat in a, a solid TV match, for sure? Finley and Regal trying to beat the shit out of each other. Well, uh, just what a solid night overall. Like, every single segment other than that last world title match. What a show. Yeah, this was actually a really good show. This is even really a question, though. The parking lot brawl. Uh, I still remember as a kid watching it, me and my friend. We loved it. It was just so different and unique for its time because this is way before like the hardcore wrestling came mainstream in WWF and WCW. Uh, obviously, ECW is doing stuff you know, that was crazy, but I don't recall them ever going out into the streets and doing things like this or having a match out there. They may have, but i never seen ECW live so, yeah. um, until TNN. So like, that's just such a small audience. So 
this is the first time you've seen something like that for the most part. And um, like you said, when you have two friends that don't care to beat the shit out of each other, it makes for good TV. And that's what this was. And um, I still remember it today. I love it. I asked my friends if they've ever seen it. And he's like, no, I've never seen it. I was like, here's the day. Go watch it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I think it's one of those things that people need to see. No, yeah, um, I remember knowing that it still was, holds up. It does. It really does. Like, watching this, this is uh, just as good today as it would have been, you know, 25 years ago. Wow. My God. I'm and that's because old. of Regal and the Bruiser, because they made it look as real as possible. And it looked like they just bumped into each other, looked at each other sideways, and started throwing hands. <laughs> and this is what they came up with. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was it, good stuff. That's what makes it good. It wasn't a, it was a work, but it wasn't. I think this was the second ever episode of Nitro since since its inception that I didn't get to see live. And it was because it came on at seven. And I guess I was just kind of out of it in high school doing my own thing, probably sports and other things like that. And somehow it, it like threw me off. I wasn't expecting it to not air, you know, at the nine o'clock slot. So I had to wait for the, the uh, replay. But um, man, I was so that was the match. Like that was the key thing that I was so upset that I didn't get to see when it happened. So I was like, made sure that I, I still got to see that match. This is like the second Nitro ever that I didn't watch live at this point. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure once it gets, you know, bad years later here, I, I'm fine with like not watching Nitro, but right, at, this, right. at this point it was like, I never wanted to miss it much less a match like that. So it was good, good to uh, get to relive this. I haven't really watched this in many, many, many years and it was, it still holds up. Like you said. As we head over to WWF Raw, but before we get there, here on Raw, it's going to be April 29th, but on April 28th, Sunday night, it was In Your House 7. Good friends, better enemies. Quick results, Mark Merrow over the 1-2-3 Kid by disqualification in 7 minutes, 15 seconds after Triple H's interference on the free-for-all pre-show. During the pay-per-view, it was the British Bulldog and Owen Hart over Jake Roberts and Ahmed Johnson in 14 minutes after Davey used Jim Cornette's tennis racket and then a standing knee bar got the submission over Jake the Snake. During the show, oh boy, the ultimate warrior over Intercontinental Champion Goldust by countout in 7 minutes and 45 seconds of one of the worst matches in wrestling history. We'll get to that in a moment. Vader defeated Razor Ramon in Razor's last match on TV. Vader countered the Razor's Edge into a backdrop and then dropped down in a Big butt splash. Got the pin on Razor in 15 minutes. Tag team champions, the body Donna's over the Godwins. Henry Godwin slop dropped skip, but Zip sneaks in and cradles Henry, old Hank, for the win in 7 minutes and 15 seconds. Now over these last three matches, there's some notes here from The Observer. Demelt says, as it relates to the pay-per-view show, the story on Goldust, and if you remember the last several weeks of the Monday Warfare show, we've been talking about Goldust having a bum leg and not even being on the house shows and, and his TV matches that have been already recorded. So he really wasn't able to work going into the pay-per-view. But the story on Goldust going in is that they were expecting him to work a limited matchup until basically the last day going into the pay-per-view, but the leg never responded as fast as they expected. So they set up what turned out to be pretty well acknowledged as a bad situation. It was supposed to only go five minutes, a five-minute segment here, Steve. That's including ring introductions, five-minute segment, <laughs> which they figured would at least get them out of the jam. As it turned out, the whole thing went closer to 11 minutes, which, man, that it's felt like 20 to me. 
which was way too long, says DeMeltz, and ended up cutting the Body Donna's Godwin match back from 18 minutes to 7, which may have also been a good thing. The Vader versus Razor match was then lengthened because after the Warrior deal, which they hoped originally would be a decent match because of Goldust, they felt they needed a second strong match because everyone figured Sean and Diesel would be decent enough they could also get a good match out of Vader and Razor, which makes sense. The match was good between Vader and Razor, although Vader came in too heavy and ran out of gas. At the end, says DeMeltz, WWF champion also Diesel, another good match. Unfortunately here, we get this, whatever the hell this was, between the Warrior and Goldust. I should note, Goldust uh, debuted a bodyguard at this pay-per-view. This is one and only appearance, by the way, is only night as the bodyguard, which for good reason, couldn't even protect Goldie from, from the Warrior. It was Mantar in a new gimmick. It's Goldust's bodyguard here. Uh, of course, Mantar takes a bump, probably just to fill in for Goldust taking bumps. Uh, it's it's one of the worst. Well, you guys got to go to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia to really listen to us cover this match as part of the uh, Watch Along series and then your house good friends, better enemies show over there on Patreon. But man, that was a bad match. It was It was easily one of the worst of all time. Oh, man. Look at this time on those matches. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how we got through it. Yeah. And then, of course, main event of that in your house was HBK over Diesel in a no-holds-barred match, 18 minutes after uh, they got involved with Mad Dog, but Sean's prosthetic leg even played a part in the match for Shawn Michaels nails the super kick, pins Diesel. This is Razor and Diesel's last night on TV for the company. We know they'll still be there for the rest of uh, April into May. We get the old uh, the, the click curtain call nonsense from Madison Square Garden still to come. But as far as TV goes, Diesel and Razor are out the door. So no more neither one of these guys after the pay-per-view. Deuces. They're on their way to go do something else somewhere else. So I'm sure we'll figure that out when it happens. But at, for right now, we head to Monday Night Raw, April 29th. And they're live in Sioux City, Iowa, in front of 3,347 fans. It's the fallout from the In Your House pay-per-view. We see clips from last night, post-pay-per-view clips. After Sean beats Diesel, the British Bulldog rushes to ringside, and he is pissed off. Coming after Sean Michaels, he confronts the Heartbreak Kid after the Diesel match. We're going to find out what that was all about later in this show as we kick things off with a match between Mankind taking on Bart Gunn while Billy Gunn out with an injury. Mankind with some type of blood makeup. On his face, it's, it's something new he hadn't worn before on his face. So he's covered it on his hand and face with this, it looks like literally makeup, red makeup, but it's supposed to be some type of blood. Even gets it all over Bart's jeans, his ass during the match. I wrote, really weird. I mean, I guess, you know, he's mankind, so they're going for something there with the blood, but it just didn't work out. Obviously, they don't use it ever again. I don't know if you even paid attention to it. I thought he just beat the shit out of himself before the match started. Okay. I didn't realize it was makeup, but yeah. yeah. I think that's what they were going for because it was like right under his eye too, uh, like it, where it looked like he'd been punching himself in the face. So I don't know. It looked ridiculous, and I'm glad they never did it again. Yeah. So this is a different era in wrestling. A lot of new guys coming in doing things that weren't common for the WWF wrestlers, punching, kicking, your typical – offense mankind with some unique offense here early and bark gun has absolutely no idea how to sell it's a little awkward foley misses a corner charge and then bark bart takes over works the arm of mankind mankind though comes back 
nails a baseball slide kick, sends Bart to the floor. Let's go to commercial break. When we come back, Mick Foley, Mankind, works over Gunn on the outside of the ring, even lands a couple of Dick Murdoch elbows there to the throat and chest area over the apron. Bart fires up, though, makes the comeback, though the crowd is still dead. Dead, dead, dead for a Bart Gunn comeback. Nails a hard left hand, does he? If we only knew back then what we would know during the Brawl for All, Steve, maybe Mankind would have sold it a little better, the old hard left hand from Bart Gunn. Match goes on. Bart has to come off the top with a missile dropkick and doesn't even get a two count. Mick Foley kicking out on one from a missile dropkick. Then it's a (laughs) (laughs) top rope shitty elbow drop from Bart Gunn. That does manage a two count, but Bart tries a ground and pound style offense on Mick Foley, but he grabs Bart Gunn into the mandible claw. He's rendered paralyzed. Mick Foley picks up the win in 11 minutes. 11 minutes entirely way too long and the crowd was dead which didn't help matters at all yeah this was very bad i didn't i'm not a fan of mick foley and i don't mind the mankind gimmick when especially at this stage because it's new uh and his promos are excellent but um this was uh 11 minutes like why why are you giving bart gun offense on this new character that basically killed the undertaker after mania so it's, it didn't make any sense. He should just be dominating people still until Undertaker comes back and they get him in the ring. He shouldn't be taking moves and doing things like that, I don't think. It's too early for that. So this match went way too long for who was in the ring. It was pretty bad. Yeah, and I, I feel like it wasn't too long ago they did the same thing between Bart Gunn and, and Stone Cold Steve Austin as well, given the match just went way too long to get their their heat, their top heels over their upcoming heels that they're pushing over over a guy who's been relegated to, to tag team wrestling at this point. The piano music does play, however, and Mankind soothes himself. The Beast is soothed. Bart Gunn is released off to commercial. But we're back from break again, and it's a backstage promo. Jim Ross wants to talk to Bart Gunn about that mandible claw. Bart's still selling the effects of the claw, so Jim Ross is feeding him the lines. That looked like paralysis out there. And uh, it wouldn't take long for mankind to attack uh, Bart Gunn a second time. Again, a second mandible claw to Bart Gunn. Down he goes in the backstage area. So mankind, a wild, dangerous character. Yeah, Bart had no business being in this role. I get it. They don't have really anything for him because uh, Billy's out, but yeah, Ross is feeding lines. He's basically reiterating what he was saying, and then thankfully Mankind comes and kicked his ass again, or comes and kicks his ass again. So yeah, it, was very, uh, it was very uncomfortable. Bart Gunn in that situation, he just wasn't ready to play. I don't know. He just wasn't ready for prime time <laughs> as far as promos and shit like that. Real real storylines go. Not his forte. No. Show goes on. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin with the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase in his corner, taking on Scott Taylor, the future Scotty Two Hottie. Man, we just saw him on the grenade back in 1993. He was here forever doing jobs. Savio Vega joins commentary during this match after Austin cost Vega the Intercontinental title during a match with Goldust recently here on Raw. During commentary, Savio issues a Caribbean strap match challenge to Stone Cold at In Your House Beware of Dog. And then Steve Austin finished Scott Taylor off with a Cesaro swing or a giant swing, if you will, which was just kind of weird. And the Million Dollar Dream puts Scotty Too Hotty out at 2 minutes and 37 seconds. And Savio then reiterates, he wants to make a public challenge 
on the live microphone to Stone Cold Steve Austin for the upcoming In Your House Beware of Dog pay-per-view. He challenges him, that public challenge, for that uh, Caribbean strap match I just mentioned. So we're going to find out if Steve Austin will accept that challenge here very shortly. So Savio Vega out there on commentary. Steve Austin with a nice squash match there. Promo time, and here we go. Vince McMahon in the ring and uh, with a who's who of, of nonsense. <laughs> Once this storyline gets going here, it's the British Bulldog uh. along with Jim Cornette. And the Bulldog's wife, Diana Hart, slash Diana Smith, if you will. And then also, Shawn Michaels out here with his mentor, Jose Lothario, who felt really out of place in this story. As we get going, we saw at the top of the show, the Bulldog confronted Shawn after the pay-per-view last night. So as we get going, we're going to figure out what that's all about here. Shawn puts over beating Bret Hart, because of course he does, at WrestleMania, beating Diesel last night at the In Your House. And he tells everybody, keep the challenges coming. Well, Jim Cornette says Sean tried to proposition Diana Hart last night during the Bulldogs tag team match at the Inner House pay-per-view. Someone sent for Diana at ringside. I should mention she was sitting ringside for that tag team match involving the Bulldog. Someone sent for her to come backstage during that match, and it was Shawn Michaels himself. Cornette calls Sean a pervert. And a fornicator. Oh, my. Diana is an innocent woman that Sean tried to deflower, Steve. Diana even goes so far as to tell Sean, Sean, I know you want me. To which Michaels responds, with all due respect, please do not flatter yourself. And what did the five fingers say to the face, Steve? Slap. Slap. To quote Dave Chappelle. And boom, Diana Smith slaps Shawn Michaels. And, uh, of course, Shawn says, I guess we know who wears the pants in the Smith family, which upsets the Bulldog. It leads to a pull-apart brawl between Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog. And I wrote, could have easily worked the same had this just been for the belt rather than this soap opera shit. I didn't care for any of this promo, any of this segment, until Bulldog and Shawn got into it just to pull apart brawl. I got into like the last 10 seconds of this entire promo. And all it took was these two guys wanting to get at each other. Just make it for the belt. This doesn't have to be general hospital, Steve. No, like Bulldog could have easily just went out after the match was over against diesel and laid out Sean and says, I want your belt and wham, bam. Thank you, man. There you go. We're good to go. We don't need this stupid shit. No, and um, you have you have one of the greatest promos of all time, Jim Cornette, out there. All he has to do is say, these are the accolades of the British Bulldog. He's the greatest. He he deserves a title shot. I mean, that's it. With the Bulldog yeah. believing his own hype. And then you get into the brawl, yep. and off we go. There's no need for this yep. fornicator shit in between. No, I don't know. I don't know what the point of this. And, you know, we live in a Me Too world now, you know. And <laughs> you're basically using this as a gimmick, as an angle, a work. Yeah to sell a title match like you're basically spitting in the face of people that actually go through this you know sean is like yeah whatever you're just uh don't flatter yourself and all that like you're not good enough to get this to happen to you for me so like it's just it's just ridiculous i never cared for this i thought it was all a bunch of hokey bullshit uh back then it is now it's even worse now just because of the environment we live in 
and I'm with you. Like the best part of this whole thing was the last ten seconds when they started to pull apart. After like before, everything before then, like I don't even care to hear it. And like you said, you're wasting Jim Cornette, like one of the best promos, and he delivered this promo with conviction and yeah, fire, and he nailed it. Like he did. Well, his Jimmy's job gonna do whatever he's got to do. I mean, he's, right. he's yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. I mean, he sold it as best as he could. He probably thinking in his mind, "Wow, we don't need this shit, not in wrestling." But he did it anyway, and he did it to the best of his ability, which is really damn good. Right. And uh, it's sad that you just wasted on that. I would much rather him go out there and spew the accolades of Bulldog, just like they yeah. did when Bulldog went against Brett. It worked then. It would work now against Sean. Because, you know, Brett got lucky against Bulldog, and Bulldog and Bulldogs beat Brett. And Bulldog, being his brother-in-law, can say, you know, I think you're better than – I'm. you're not as good as Bret Hart, so I can definitely beat you as champion. Right. I may not be able to beat Brett, but I can beat you because you're no Bret Hart. Well, it and took Sean you an say, hour. Well, to beat Brett, yeah. it took me, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's a lot of shit there that they could have went with instead of this nonsense. This almost feels like, you know, Vince Russo was already here at this point. It's Vic Venom in the magazine room. This almost feels like a Vince Russo thing. Like he was walking through the room and gave this. This might have been like Vince Russo's. I'm not saying it was, but this almost feels like no. Vince Russo's first storyline, right? <laughs> Isn't Livewire coming soon, too? Bro, yeah, it's coming in the fall, bro. That way that, that he's coming <laughs> up on. <laughs> I t- I think I told you this the other day. I was like, it sucks it's Vince Russo because he makes a lot of good points, but then like you said, he just keeps going and ruins it. So Yeah, uh, he don't know when to stop stuff. Yeah. He really doesn't. Yeah. But uh no, this is this definitely smells like Vince Russo and I think he is doing stuff because didn't he do a lot of the gold gold dust stuff early? I don't really remember off the top of my head right now. You could be right. I, I know he I know he was very heavily involved with the gold dust stuff at points. Yeah, so I'd imagine he has maybe not say, but he's probably given ideas. And Vince is like, you know what? Wow, that's some good shit, pal. Uh, let's do that. And yeah, one life to live, shit reeks. right there. Yeah, let's do that. This reeks of Vince Russo. It really yeah. does. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's what I made the first thing I thought of. Uh, you know what doesn't reek of Vince Russo? I mean, I'm I it's guess nice I'm giving man. him credit here. Yeah, I guess I'm giving him a little credit here. It's the Godwins. That's Henry O and Phineas I. Company to the ring by Hillbilly Jim and some pigs, Steve. They're taking on the new and improved rockers of Marty Jannetty and Al Snow's Leaf Cassidy at this point. This is a number one contenders match. I wrote again, the Godwins just lost last night a tag title match. They're already in a number one contenders match the next day, Steve. That's how low we are on tag teams here in the WWF. We get a sunny promo, though, during the match. She says, uh, well, she's carrying the title belts over, you know, and they're covering some areas here. She says she needs to get a closer look at the action. So we're presuming Sonny's headed out to the ring as we get a whole lot of nothing during the match. The Rockers try to corner and double team Phineas, but he has one of his spells by God and fights them both off with mule kicks and things that a mule kick, Steve. Apparently if you're a farmer and and you have animals on your farm, you got to have a few, got to have a mule, which means you got to know how to do a mule kick. And that's, that was one of Phineas's, Best moves there, the mule kick. I don't know if it ever connected, but my God, we saw it here it on did. this episode. <laughs> <laughs> if it ever did. <laughs> it would take somebody's head off, I'll tell you that. Which yeah. is the idea of a mule kick, a real mule kick. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, during the match, the, fi- the Rockers take over. They try to stall. The crowd's just blonde. I don't blame them. They're dead during this match. Then it's sunny to ringside 
which uh, wakes the crowd up a little bit. As we go into a break, we come back. And uh, during the commentary, we hear, not a bad pair. The belts, you know. I wonder who said that on commentary. Any guesses? Sherry Lawler. <laughs> Absolutely. Good old King. Uh, the show goes on, though. It's uh, the body donuts with heat on old Hank. As instead of instead of Godwin Chance or Henry Chance or Phineas Chance, we hear Sonny Chance. And she's at ringside again. I mentioned the crowd was dead until she came out there. Hank gets a hot tag to Phineas after Leaf Cassidy accidentally pushes Henry into his own partner. Hot tag to Phineas, and the crowd barely makes a noise during the entire hot tag comeback. Phineas and Leaf Cassidy spill out to the floor. Sonny gets too close to the action, so Hillbilly Jim chases her away from ringside, and we wind up with a double countout between the Godwins and the Rockers on Raw with a dead crowd, and the match went 10 minutes and 30 seconds. My only response to this was, oof. And Sonny celebrates because I guess this means with nobody winning the number one contenders match, in Sonny's mind, the Bonnie Donnas don't have to wrestle anyone. Uh, then we learn there's a going to be a rematch on Superstars. I wrote Joy. I mostly wrote Joy because I know I won't be watching Superstars, Steve. No, I definitely won't be either. <laughs> Do you think they just threw this show together? Like, and just... We're not contested by Nitro, so let's just throw shit out there. It doesn't I don't, matter what I happens. don't think that they had that mentality yet. I just think this is what they had at that point. I mean, you're down to no tag teams. You have none. Billy Gunn's hurt, so one of your four tag teams are gone. That leaves you the Body Donnas, the Godwins, and the Rockers. That's your tag team. Right? Like, no, I, that's it. no, I don't mean like this, but I meant like these matches. Like Bart Gunn and Mankind go 11 minutes. This tag match goes 10 minutes. These matches have no business going this long. Uh, so, like, that's but what it was. Just, it was just the times. It, it just it, it was just the times as, as best I could, you know, tell. I mean, it was just the times. <laughs> hmm. I don't know, man. This is this show is rough. I didn't. It's yeah. very boring. It's not over yet, though. We get a promo no, time. It's, it's Jim Ross in the bowels. That just doesn't sound good. With Mankind, of all people, Mankind finally explains how his mandible claw works. During the course of being shackled and locked up in whatever dungeon he was from whatever person locked him away, it's never explained who did this to him, how he escaped, how he kept promos from this dungeon, and how he got here to the WWF. Apparently, Vince McMahon freed him. But uh, Mankind explored all of the nerve holes and pressure points on the body while he was sitting in this dungeon board, okay? And I wrote, he did this to himself? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but he said he did it until he found out the right one. And that was the man. He, he, he did the mandible claw to himself. I, it is. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's his story, I guess, anyway. So just buy it and shut up and deal with it, I suppose. Mankind says there is no escaping the mandible claw. Fear and paralyzation overcomes the body which is true, so he's explaining how it works at least. And uh, to close out the promo, he says that he has no fear for The Undertaker, so Mankind explains off what the Mandible Claw does. It only took a few months, but they, they're here, a couple of months, but they're here. They're telling him what it does, what it is, and we know this Undertaker feud's continuing on. Yeah, I mean, this this promo was really good. I really liked it. 
I like the way he explained how he came up with the mandible claw. Like he put reason behind it, no matter how ridiculous it was. Oh, it was ridiculous because you're not going to apply pain thresholds to your own body until you you pass out or or whatever. It's it's just not going to work. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I also think too, like at least they say, well, it's just a good move or whatever. No, and I feel like this is those this is that era still where you came up with your own shit, right? I mean, in a promo. So at least at least McFoley went home and goes, I got to come up with something to explain this, and that was literally the best way to to explain it away anyway. So I'll give him credit, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, it was good. To be honest, I think it, I'm going to give a spoiler here for my favorite segment. That was my favorite part of the show. Okay. <laughs> to be honest with you, wow, yeah, it's it's a rough show. It's a rough, rough, yeah. rough, rough, rough show, and that will be uh, that will continue here in the next segment as the Ultimate oh, Warrior takes on. Isaac Yankum DDS, did you ever think you'd see a day where the Ultimate Warrior was wrestling a dentist? As the Warrior makes his way out to the ring, then leaves, Steve, and then makes his way out to the ring a second time for some unknown reason, (laughs) other than maybe he had to take a shit. It was the Warrior. Maybe there's no reason at all. We have Jerry Lawler in the corner of his dentist, Isaac Yankum, here for more reason than one. We'll find out as as the, uh, the weeks progress. So Lawler's on commentary, but also accompanying Isaac Yankum at the same time as Warrior dominates the future Kane. We go into commercial break, and we come back with the finish of the match. It's clotheslines, the shoulder block, and the splash. The ultimate Warrior picks up the win in four minutes with commercial break. And then, for the hell of it, he pitches the seven-foot Isaac Yankum to the floor like garbage. Uh, there was no, if, if Isaac Gingham got any offense in, it was during the commercial break. I mean, he was straight up job guy here for the warrior. Yeah. Uh, was this it for him? I don't think so. I think he was still jobbing after that, but that's an excellent question for a very good reason. Uh, cause it just feels like this is, we're done, but well, it has to be it or close to it because yeah. fake diesel and razor are coming soon in the fall, right? Within- in the fall. Within like two or three months. Oh, is it that I mean, soon? We're, we're getting. We're, I, I don't know. It was the Survivor Series time around October, September, October. The fall, yeah. I don't know, but like it is. It just feels like. Um, yeah, I don't doubt that he's on his way out as as this character. I mean, it was a flop from the start. They gave him vignettes. He worked Brett, and then that was pretty much it. Yeah. yeah interesting, but yeah, he got no offense. And it was, my comment here was like, it's still weird seeing. Ultimate Warrior on Monday Night Raw. He in 1996. Long, but it's, man, it's a like, different he, world. He, he it doesn't not, work. It doesn't. Like, it's, it does, he does not fit. And no. I wouldn't even say 1996 is modern wrestling, but it doesn't work no. at all. No. No. And uh, it won't be on this episode of Monday Warfare, but the next episode of Monday Warfare, where he starts shilling his wrestling academy and all the other horse shit when he's like, Warrior Man here. Like that shit. That's that's the end of Warrior for <laughs> for me. So, we're not there yet. Not on this episode of the Green or Money Warfare. But hype too. Did they hype during the the commentary that uh, tune into Superstars so you can get into Warrior University and oh learn how God. to be a warrior like the Ultimate Warrior or something like that? That's a hard pass, Steve. I believe it never opened. From my understanding, I believe people showed up and then there, it was empty. From what I was told. Which wow, really? Doesn't yeah, doesn't surprise me at all. And that that was the end of Raw. It was uh, Warrior over Kane 
to future Kane in, in four minutes flat as Jerry Lawler wants to enter the ring to confront Warrior, but there's not enough slack on his headset cord, so he just can't get in there. And uh, it's a fun little Jerry Lawler finish there to the end of the show. Of course, there'll be more Warrior and Lawler coming up. Segment of the night, Steve, you said it was the Mankind promo for you, which I believe, considering what else was on this show. Uh, my list of uh, segments were, was it Warrior squashing Kane? Was it Sean is a fornicator? Uh, <laughs> and then I just wrote, woof, rough night for Raw. That was it. I was out of fucking ideas at that point. Uh, yes. I think I cheated once or twice on this show so far where I picked nothing. And I really, really, really want to do it here. But I'm going to try to scroll back through here as fast as I can. Not the Bart Gun match. Can I do, like, Stone Cold versus Scotty Too Hotty just for, like, because it was short? I mean, I don't really know what to do. No Fornicator. The Goblins match was awful. The Mankind promo was okay. I mean, I could go with that, too. But really, overall, just a very, very, very bad episode of Raw. Yeah, it wasn't very good at all. It was cool to see the Ultimate Warrior. but. just didn't work as much as I hate to say it, it just didn't work. No, it, um, it was not good. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to just pick it because that's my guy, but mankind and bark gun went about six minutes too long. Yeah. And, uh, the tag match, I have no interest in anything that the rockers, new rockers, old, ro- well, I ain't going to say old rockers, but new rockers, I have zero interest in that garbage. Yeah. And, uh, so that just leaves mankind, and at this point, like he hasn't gotten to the point where I was done with Mick Foley, which that happens not until like late dude love and all that stupid crap is when I'm done. But um, <laughs> no, I mean it's, it's very little to choose from. So all you know, better show of the week is easy. Yeah, we'll get there in a in a moment. Um, yeah, obviously the real winner here is uh, pretty obvious, but. Them ratings, they be in. And even though Nitro is by far seemingly the better uh, show of the week, WWF Raw posted a 3.9 rating and a 5.6 share, tying its second highest rated Raw in history. you got to be kidding me. While WCW Nitro, despite trying to get the word out about having a world title change, (laughs) headline its show, at the new time slot of 7 p.m., Nitro did a 2.1. So Raw, 3.9. Nitro, 2.1. Oh Raw almost doubled Nitro. I, it's got to be the time, right? It's got to be the time slot, right? Uh, yeah, you'd have to think that with Nitro being like, – they're both uncontested. So those guys that are used to watching both shows at 9 o'clock Eastern were just tuning into Raw. So the whole Nitro audience that they would normally have is there. That, that has to be it. You also have Imagine to factor in that, 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 that 3.9. Yeah, but you have to also have to factor in that, that the NBA was airing live. So when if the NBA went on the air at 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock, it was airing three hours earlier on the West Coast, which means Nitro had to air live on the West Coast as well. So Nitro was coming out on the West Coast. I'm not trying to make excuses here, but they were com- coming out on the West Coast when kids might have still been in school, people might have still been at work. So, you know, it's it's a lot earlier in the day. Yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah, and also, you know what's crazy, though? They put up a 3.9, and they gave him absolute shit. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I wonder how many people are going to carry over to next week. 
It'll be interesting. Although they to do see. have a pretty loaded, they do have a pretty loaded card next. Well, week, we'll see because uh, I, I kind of remember them doing okay here, if I remember correctly. Demelt says the time slot change for Monday Nitro due to the NBA playoffs on TNT is going to leave WCW destroyed in the ratings battle through the entire month of May. It's four weeks of uh, NBA, I believe, the playoffs here on TNT, even all the way back in 1996. Raw actually outrated the NBA playoffs. Remember, Raw did it, uh, what was it? Uh, what did I tell you it was, Steve? 3-9. 3-9, 3.9. Raw actually outrated the NBA playoffs, which ranged between a 3.0 and a 3.5. Demel says it isn't actually unexpected as pro wrestling does better than the NBA on most cable. Most of the time, anyways, uh, unless it's a marquee matchup. So that's kind of well, interesting, because I don't know if that's a, a, a fact anymore. Oh, it's a fact. Oh, is it? Okay. I don't know. I don't, yeah. follow, I don't follow NBA <laughs> ratings. I, I was well, yeah, depends on who you follow on Twitter, and I don't have Twitter, so people are looking for me. Good luck. Um, but no, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> the, the whole, remember, like, a few years ago when the NFL ratings slid, you know, for a little bit, yeah, and then they kind of stabilized and just skyrocketed back up. Everybody was making a huge deal out of it, but nobody wants to talk about the NBA ratings. They're in the tank. They like ESPN games on Friday get less than a million viewers sometimes. So um, that's why you guys need to watch what is it ESPN two or whatever it is with uh, Peyton and Eli doing commentary now. Those are entertaining as hell. That's train wreck city in a good way. Yeah, um, but no, the, the NBA ratings are not very good at all, uh, and they've been on the decline the last five or six years. Really, really hitting the skids the last two or three years. So it still holds true today. Raw probably outdoes most NBA games. So Raw. That's why when people say like WWE's in rough shape as far right. as viewers and ratings, yeah, they're actually underpaid based off of what they do. Yeah, because um, so. uh, I think hockey gets paid more than WWE, even though they get smaller ratings. So yeah, I hear you. Yeah, they're they're gonna get they're gonna get more next round than they did this round. That's just the way shit goes, brother. <laughs> you can produce 50 weeks of live TV and do your own production costs. Like, people are going to pay for that. <laughs> I mean, that's just the yeah. way it's going to be. Yeah. So the real winner here, even though uh, Raw destroyed Nitro in the ratings here by almost double what Nitro, that won't last very long, by the way. But for right now, they're like murdering Nitro while they're at 7 p.m. Uh, with almost double <laughs> the rating. Uh, for me, I think all day long, Nitro killed Raw here as far as um, quality product. Yeah, I mean, two really good tag matches, um, the parking lot brawl, of course, and then you had a title change. Even if you went head-to-head, that's going to be tough to beat. Yeah. Um, especially when you're giving a Scott Taylor and Steve Austin a squash match on Monday. Um, that's why I felt like they just kind of threw that show together because they knew they were going to be uncontested. It just didn't feel like there was a I lot of I don't effort think that, or I don't think that early there. on. That, that, that they thought like that. I think they just were par for the course at that point. I really do. I truly believe Vince was going to do what Vince was going to do back then. He hadn't changed course yet. They weren't really forcing yeah. his hand to putting on a better show or a shittier show. I just think Vince put on whatever show he was going to put on. I really, really do. It was just where they were at this point. Look at the roster. Uh, I don't want to get into all that right now, but yeah, it just wasn't. No, the roster's bad, but um, and it just got worse with Diesel and Razor gone, so sure. I get it. it. Just you could do better than that, I think. Even with what you have, I think you. I can. don't know if you can. Not for TV. I don't know. You could probably shorten some of them shit matches. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. 
I don't know. Turn it on and rip the knob off. You pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces. Join me, Ray Russell, and my co-host Stephen Eckstadt as we take a trip down memory lane to wrestling history's past as we analyze and dissect complete years of wrestling history from your favorite promotions. From Hulkamania to Mania, from the Midnight Express to the Lex Express. Which promotion are we deep diving into next? What year have we time traveled back to now? Tune in and find out on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Home of the free prize giveaway. We move into the, the next week. We're going to talk a little WCW news really quick. Dean Malenko captured the WCW Cruiserweight title from Shinjiro Otani at the Disney tapings on May 2nd. The match will air on Worldwide on May 18th. So Dean Malenko, the new Cruiserweight champion. Following the parking lot brawl on WCW Nitro, Finley, Bruiser, Belfast Bruiser, has left WCW to go work for Otto Vons, as I mentioned, in Austria but is expected back in a few months. That doesn't happen. He does eventually come back. We remember Finley back in WCW, but it's not in a few months. David Taylor, Squire David Taylor, T, uh, by the way, Steve, one of Steve Regal's tag team partners, will now replace, this is fair, because this is fair, Steve, replace Finley as Steve Regal's tag team partner as part of the Slamboree Lethal Lottery. I wrote, the oh fake God. became even faker. This is just fucking awful. This is awful. They don't even want they don't even want this pay-per-view. <laughs> That's how it feels. Like, why do we have this? Oh, yeah, and God. Bischoff's reason for the, the, the and it made sense for the different gimmicks on the pay-per-views was you wanted to franchise each pay-per-view as a different gimmick, something, you know, other than a regular show. And it makes sense. Lethal Lottery Battle Bowl was a great idea. Dusty came up with a great idea. Back in 1991. I, I loved 1991. I did too. I, I don't know that some of those matches were great technically, but it was still a great idea and it was presented really well. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately here, this is like we've said, it's lazy and it's obvious. It's blatant. It's slapping you in the face as far as uh, breaking kayfabe. It's, there's no way all this shit happens accidentally, you know, by, by the luck of the draw. Right, right. It's funny, though, that Bischoff came up with that idea to individualize each pay-per-view. That's what WWE does now. Right. Every show has its own match name, really. Like Fatal You know what the problem was? Bischoff wasn't a booker. He profoundly you know, admits that. He never booked anything. So he came up with the idea to bring back the Lethal Lottery Battle Bowl, but unfortunately Kevin Sullivan, whoever executed it this way, and Bischoff just went along with it. So he's still kind of to blame. Yeah. Well, he, he knew what it, how good it could be, and then I mean, the, I, I understand why they're doing it, but when you look at it from a surprise, oh my God, friends are going to fight friends, and enemies are going to fight enemies. That's in that's every fine. single it match. It shouldn't be every single match. No. And that, I think that's what Dusty did well, like you said earlier. The the Freebirds went against each other, and who was it? The Steiners were on opposite yeah. teams. Right. That's it. That's all you had. So the rest and then of you it, had the, I think it was like, like the Sting and Cactus, te they teamed up or something like yeah. that? Was it? Yeah. Yeah, then I kept doing the Butcher, the beat him up or something. Those matches were like one, five, and nine out of ten tag matches, too. They were separated. It was, it was really good. It was really well done. Yeah, this just is overkill. I get, like, that's the idea that you'd want to do. Okay, well, let's just get every feud and put them together as a team and... But the, after that, it's like, wow, this isn't a luck of a draw. No, <laughs> this is very, very, this slap, like I said, slap you in the face, fake. 
It's like, hey, it's <laughs> if you like, didn't know wrestling was fake like before, Rumble. look at this. It's like Rumble 89. 89, where all the tag two. teams came out. Yeah, Demolition 1 and 2. Brainbusters back-to-back. There was a few tag teams yeah. back-to-back in that in that uh, match. At least three. But they quickly Arn and Tully, I think. Arn and Tully, then the, the yeah. uh, Twin Towers. Twin Towers. That was what, that's what I meant. Yeah, Brainbusters and Twin Towers. But Tower, the Twin yeah, Towers yeah. makes sense since they sold the numbers. And you can kind of, so they kind of, they, 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 okay, don't, don't catch on to this. They sold their tickets and did some shenanigans. Yeah, my, my only question so that, that was, sense. why was DiBiase selling like 23 for 30? Like, what the fuck? But I mean, whatever. I mean, it's semantics at that point. Oh, yeah. He's rich. But, <laughs> wrong uh, era. No, wrong like, era. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it worked to... because they, yeah. they only did it once. You know, like they've never done it again. So. Yeah, Slamboree, though, just. <laughs> no good. Trash. Yeah. It's unfortunate we have to review it. So we got a few other names coming into the company and maybe even a change in the gimmick here. We know Mean Mike Enos, the former Blake Beverly in the WWF, debuted at the Disney tapings as well as part of a new tag team called Rough and Ready with Dick Slater. We'll see Mike Enos here in not too long on WCW Nitro under a different gimmick for at least a week as the mauler. We'll, We'll get to that pretty soon. Newcomer Kid Flash, a.k.a. real name Pete Gruner, is now going by the name of a fellow by the name of Billy Kidman here in WCW. And then Big Bubba, no Trubba, has changed his gimmick once again, says the Melts. Now he will be managed by the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart doing a Harley Biker character, which is He's one way to describe it. never going to wash his shirt. And yeah, he's never going to wash his hair either. Yeah. Uh, so what Big happened? Bubba, what happened to our guy? I don't know what happened to the boss, man. You were the man I... Oh, I got years of years of just being disappointed coming up. I, I could see. It's almost like he just completely gave up hope. <laughs> gave up life. Yeah. When he, when I'm he not cutting my hair. I'm not shaving my beard. Fuck that. I can wait. <laughs> when he lost to WrestleMania, uh, WrestleMania 7, seven? it almost yeah. felt like he just completely fell off. You know, that, yeah. This is never going to work out for me. Well, you know what happened, Bobby? He didn't hurt his happened. mama's feelings. You don't hurt my mama's feelings. Yeah. Well, he d- he did get the shaft when Rude quit. That would have been an interesting feud. Uh, yeah, that would have been good shit. We did get a match out of him on, on WCW. Thanks to Bulldog leaving. But Yeah, but, man, that would have been fun. That would have been yeah. a fun feud for sure. Yeah, that would have been really good times. Uh, we go on, though. We go on with the May 6, 1996 episode of WCW Monday Nitro, again airing early at 7 p.m., this time from Daytona Beach, Florida, in front of 7,000 fans. Unfortunately, only 3,200 paid, Steve. As WCW champion, the Giant was scheduled to take on Lex Luger in tonight's main event. So Lex Luger looking to challenge the Giant for the WCW title. We'll see what happens with that when we get to that part of the show. We kick things off, though. It's Hugh Morris scheduled to take on the Macho Man Randy Savage as Morris attacks Macho Man at ringside in the entranceway on the floor. He puts on the Macho Man's hat. He puts on the Macho Man's glasses. Uh Uh-uh. He even tries to put on the Macho Man's jacket, and you know this conversation took place backstage. You're too big to put it on. One arm, brother, right there. You don't want to rip my jacket. Don't rip it. Uh Uh-uh, never. So Hugh Morris literally puts the jacket on one arm, doesn't even try to put it on the other arm, because it's fat guy in a little coat. He can't do it. So he's walking around with the Macho Man's jacket on one arm, and oh, 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 does that piss Randy Savage off? He attacks Hugh Morris, chokes him over the top rope for disqualification, 
and only three minutes into the match, and then boom, big top rope elbow drop. You think that Hugh Morris would have learned from the repo man who stole Macho's hat back in 93? Uh-uh, not here. And Macho Man just takes it out on Hugh Morris here. He gets choked out, elbow drop off the top rope. Referee Randy Eller actually gets physical with the Macho Man. And what did those five fingers say to the face again, Steve? <laughs> Slap. Slap! <laughs> because the Macho Man slaps the living piss out of Randy Eller who goes down home. Oh, what a noise it made. That was a legit slap. Slap the shit right out of Randy Eller's mouth. <laughs> and down goes Eller. Down goes Eller. And then the Macho Man slams him into place. Randy Anderson tries to get him. Oh, don't do it, Macho. And then Ma Randy Anderson knows what's up. He backs off like a wise referee as the Macho Man goes up top and delivers a flying elbow drop to referee Randy Eller. I wrote, awesome. Holy balls, awesome. Slapped the shit out of him, elbowed him. Oh, if anybody could do aggression better than the Macho Man as a baby face, I don't know who it was. Uh, nobody. He was always so um, intense, man. So it didn't take much for him to snap off. He was so believable. He I wanted mean, he to kill Ric Flair so bad at this point. I mean, that was that was the rage and the anger behind him. But then Hugh Morris takes his, his first. He attacks him on his way to the ring. Then he takes his gear and tries it on. So he gets choked out, disqualified. Macho Man does get disqualified for choking him out over the top rope. Then the referee gets in his face, touches him. Shouldn't touch him. Slaps the shit out of him. Ref has to take a bump off of it. Literally. Slams him. Elbow drops him over top of Randy Anderson. It was so great. The only problem with this entire segment was they started ringing the damn ring bell and they didn't stop for oh like five fucking minutes. I don't know who was out there ringing that bell, but it drove me nuts. I was going crazy watching this. They didn't stop ringing the bell for like five minutes as there's referees and Doug Dillinger and cops and everybody coming out there to stop Macho Man from going nuts on, on Hugh Morris and this referee and uh, eventually security and the police, they arrest the Macho Man, handcuff him and everything. Macho Man off, off to jail, Steve. Yeah. See you, buddy. Yeah. The bell ringing was annoying. It's almost like watching an RVD match in ECW with Fonzie just laying in on the, whistle. the damn whistle yeah, for 35 yeah, too minutes. Much. Yeah. Uh, but now the bell, it got old real quick, and um, clearly nobody's stopping him. So stop ringing the bell. We get it. Yeah, pretty terrible. That that kind of ruins it sometimes because I was, I was enjoying it, and then I kind of just fast forward because I didn't want to hear that bell ringing for so damn long. It was a ridiculous amount of time. I don't know who was out there doing it, who thought it was a great idea. Maybe they, thought they were getting themselves over. Hey, I'm the bell ringer. I'm going to ring the bell for, for this entire duration of this segment because that's what they do. So it was very annoying. <laughs> In between, before we get to the next match, we get a, a brief moment. Uh, Ray the Crippler Stevens has passed away. Eric Bischoff announces that donations can be made to the Cauliflower Alley Club, which was a big thing for Ray Stevens, of course, a longtime legendary wrestler. I wish Bischoff had gave Bobby Heenan a minute on TV. I, I get it. It's not, the time, it's not the time frame period or whatever, but Bobby always went on record as the greatest wrestler he ever saw in the ring was Ray Stevens. He meant a lot to Bobby during Bobby's early era. Uh, just the bumping and the crazy, what a tremendous worker he was. So I was kind of bummed out that Bobby didn't at least get to say like goodbye, like he did to Monsoon. But Bischoff did mention that Bobby, you know, knew him well and things. And Eric put him over. I, I know Eric probably met Ray quite a bit during late eighties, AWA, because 
or Vern would bring in Wahoo and Ray and, and shit to work commentary and things like that. So yeah, but, but we're at that point now in 1996, Ray Stevens has passed away. Yeah. I think Bischoff even made the comment when I think Malenko's coming down the aisle that we'll, we'll be able to talk about Ray in a minute. And I don't think they ever went back to it after they did the in memoriam thing. Right. Um, but yeah, it would have been great to hear. I think Bobby was trying to say something about him, but Bischoff kind of cut him off or, or something like that. Yeah, pretty cool that they did this. Um, we see something else on Raw regarding Ray Stevens. From everything I've heard from you and, and just the people that talk about him or when you try to search stuff out for Ray Stevens, right? everybody kind of has the same sort of response. Uh, he was one of the greatest that you never saw because there's not a lot of his footage, footage out there. Right. So. Yeah, he was the um, the inventor of the the flip bumps, the bumps up in the flip bumps, the Shawn Michaels bumps, or any other guy, Ric Flair bumps, and and Adrian Adonis bumps. Ray Stevens was the first. They, they it all came from you know the Crippler, and uh, the top a lot of the top rope moves. Uh, you know, Ray. I'm not saying Ray invented the top rope, but he was the right. one that you know he was one of the first guys that actually did it. He was they him and Pat Patterson as a tag team, and even Ray as a singles sold out. The Cal Palace, San Francisco, for years upon years, you know, uh, That's quite hard a lot. To like, do. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ray Stevens was I think... <laughs> unfortunately like you know, like we like like you just said, it. It's not very much Ray Stevens out there in his prime. I mean, he came to the WWF; he was already pretty much done by the time he got to Vince, yeah. and he still got that feud over Snooka turn Snooka turn babyface to work that angle with Ray Stevens, the pile driver on the concrete, and Snooka doing the leap over the top. You know, so. It was, uh, I mean, Vince knew what he had. He knew he had a guy that could carry a, a feud, maybe not physically yeah. anymore, but certainly he had the, you know, mentality. Of it, so, yeah, yeah. He, he knew what to do to get the crowd invested. Absolutely. So, yeah, thank God he did make it to Vince so we can have something. But, right. I think, I don't, I don't know if people comprehend how hard it is to sell out the same damn building <laughs> for years upon years. With the same and, guy on and top. When, yeah, and when they were running it weekly or bi-weekly. I mean, this isn't like yeah. once a month or once tri- not, tri-monthly. This is like every week, every two weeks in a arena, people. This is not fucking, you know, 300. Not globetrotting, going, yeah. to, going, going to different state, different cities, night after night, day after day. It's the same building, the same people, the same wrestlers for the most part. Selling this out, I and mean, you have one guy on top as much as Ray Stevens was on top in San Francisco to sell it out as much as he did. It's just mind boggling. And when you hear the name The Crippler, too, like you, I don't think of a guy that's gonna flop around the ring like a fish out of water because of how he sold. Like, from the stuff that I've seen, he like flops around like Mr. Perfect did, or he yeah. has like those springs in his legs where he can just. He sells like a million bucks. He look, like, and then you know, the, the, when I seen or heard about Ray Stevens, I could see how Bobby Heenan got his selling because Heenan right. sells the same You're, way. That's excellent. Yeah, that's excellent uh, point. Yeah. Uh, you know, just jump flies over the top rope, which is amazing that Heenan did that as much as he did, where he just fly over the top rope and land on his feet and hightail it out of there, or that bump where he, you know, you just go flying over the top rope and you don't expect that from Heenan, but that's. That's a Ray Stevens sell job. They they sell a lot alike. I wish there was more out there because that's the kind of stuff that if you don't have footage of somebody, you just it's hard to appreciate them. I think uh, you can hear the stories, but it's just kind of like the last battle of Atlanta. Like you heard the stories, like oh, it's so amazing. You want to see it. Obviously, we see it now, but 
there's no yeah, way it, did, it didn't exist for like 30 years or something <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's like you wish you could see more or you know just so you can appreciate him more yeah. and i think you'd be talked about more if you could yeah you know when he even went to the awa in the 70s bobby heenan got to manage him and nick bockwinkle is a tag team so i mean there's a, there's a you know ray <sighs> i bet ooh, you that's some good shit there has, stuff, to be, that has to be available right yeah there's there's some out there just a, a great this is just sitting on it I yeah mean. he's yeah, he's sitting on sitting forever on all now. that AWA shit. Forever Damn. now. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go on with this Nitro. I forgot where we were. We're on May 6, 1996, <laughs> not 1966. Uh, I love I love the oldies. I love Ray Stevens, but we're going to yeah, get back here in time, 1996. Dean Malenko taking on Jushin Thunder Liger. And, and since he's Japanese, of course, we need the, the evil stereotypical Sonny Ono. <laughs> it's his manager here as the match gets going. I wrote, holy shit, they're going to let these two fight without a distraction. You know why I thought that, Steve? Hulk Hogan's not here this week, and he's usually yeah. the big proponent of intervening in any good match on Nitro. Because anytime you get two good wrestlers against each other on Nitro, you better rest assured there's a Hulk Hogan angle going on backstage so they can do the split screen. So I'm all pumped. I'm like, it's Malenko and Liger, and Hulk Hogan's not here. And then I wrote, oh, never mind. Because out comes Ric Flair with his ladies. They're going to eat dinner inside the arena uh, now that Macho Man has been tossed from the building. So we go into commercial break. We come back. In all fairness, Eric Bischoff did pay more attention to this match than when they showed the other Cruiserweight matches when Hogan's there and things. But we still have the issue with the camera cutting away to go show Ric Flair enjoying his dinner with Elizabeth and woman throughout the match. Dean works the leg over a Liger. Liger makes the comeback, does the... Back rolling kick into the corner and top rope plancha to the floor onto Malenko. But back inside, it's Dean with the top rope gut buster. And he tries a tiger bomb here. And I kind of blinked and missed this. I feel like they might have screwed up and I didn't catch it. Dean tries the tiger bomb. Next thing I know, Liger's sitting on Dean's chest for a pinfall. So I'm not sure if Dean lost his footing and Liger landed on him. And they just kind of worked it out that way or this was planned. So I missed like two seconds of the spot. But I do know the very next spot is Dean going into the Tiger Bomb and getting the pin in 9 minutes and 30 seconds. I wrote, that was one of the better cruiser matches thus far on Nitro by far. It was a solid TV match. Nothing special or fancy, but it was a good wrestling match. And other than that little finish uh, issue there that I, I kind of I, I wish I hadn't missed, it was a solid match. I'm kind of curious. I don't know if you caught it or not. But did it look legit to you? Did it look like maybe they slipped up and they covered? I don't know. I know that's how Bischoff sold it. That like Lager reversed it. It was just very odd. Like he, but he did kind of take him up pretty fast, and Lager did land on his chest somehow. Like I don't know how they got in that position, but I rewound it to see. Like uh, I want to see that again. What happened? It could have been a slip, but these guys are so damn good. You just don't know. Like it could have just been a move. Right. Um, like Lager got the, the upper hand on him. But no, this was a good match. Um, it did suck at the beginning, like Flair coming out, and then they mentioned that Savage was taken out. He's been escorted out of the building, uh, coming up like then the Flair stuff, and it's just like uh, I just felt like they don't care about these matches. Yeah, yeah, Bischoff was smart to bring these people in, but right. they didn't care. And Liger at this point was the man. Like. <laughs> You don't disrespect this guy by not paying attention to his match. It's pretty damn stupid to fly him in just to disrespect him. Yep. yep. Um, 
Bischoff could take the credit for bringing him in, but he did him no favors for the first year and a half, two years that they're there. No, and it, it kills me because it's like they realize their talent. That's why they're on the show. They wouldn't give them this time if they thought that Hacksaw or no disrespect to him, but you know, some of these other guys that are established names that maybe are over the hill to a degree, they're not going to cut it compared to got to get some of your fresh talent out there, like a, like a D Malenko or eventually Chris Wadi Guerrero, uh, it's Jushin Liger here while he's in town. But the problem is, it's like, here's our show, and let's get these guys over. But you know what? We need to we need to get more Ric Flair, Randy Savage storylines, so let's do that during their match as well. It's doing no favors to them at all. It doesn't help whatsoever. And what really upsets me is the very next segment is a Ric Flair promo. So is yeah. it really necessary to outshine, or not okay. outshine, but 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 uh, kind of like, intrude on the on the Malenko Liger match with Ric Flair segments when he's going to cut a promo right after it anyway. Right. Why couldn't you just have Flair come out, cut his promo and then say, "You know what? I'm going to spend the rest of Macho spend more of Macho's money the rest of the night on Nitro when I take my seat over here." Well, people like, knew better than this, sell? Steve, years ago. Years 10 years ago. Let's go back 10 years real just real quick. Sam Houston will get a squash match on World Championship Wrestling on a Saturday night, right? A, a squash match by an undercard guy, Sam Houston. Three, four minutes, whatever. And then you would go to the Horseman promo with J.J. Dillon, Flair, Arn, Tully, whoever. You didn't have Flair, Arn, and Tully, and whoever interrupt the Sam Houston match to cut the promo. Get And, and this is way better than a squash, right? This is Liger and Malenko. If you're going to cut the promo anyway... Why are you interrupting the other segment to get the other guys over? Everybody has to get over. So I, I just don't understand this logic here in 96. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. Every segment is there for a reason. It's not to promote the, fo- the following segment or the segment that happened before. Yeah, you could talk about it because it was a big-time thing. Like, you know, Savage just beat the shit out of a ref, which you didn't see that very often like that, I don't, if ever. Yeah. Um, it definitely so it that woke was, me that, up that and it entertained huge. me. And, and Savage, being Savage, it entertained me more because it felt more realistic. But I think like you should have just went straight to the back on the after the commercial and showing him getting escorted out and putting in the police car. And then you come in to do your match, and then, like you said, have the promo, and then he can go to the table now that it's safe that he's out there. or you can have the match and then go to the back and show or have the footage shown why Flair is cutting his promo so you can see that it's safe or whatever. But you don't have to do all this at once. Like So Bischoff announces that he's getting escorted out of the building in handcuffs. Flair comes out and takes over at his table and he's eating there. And then the first five minutes of this match, I don't even know how long it was, but the first three or four minutes of the match, it's all about Savage and Flair. And like you said, Hogan's gone, so I figured they'd pay attention. Right. Um, they just found something else not, to replace Hogan with. Yep. They just filled it in with the next hot. They've kind of already figured out their format of what they want. It's like it doesn't have to be Hogan, but it's got to be their their main eventers overtaking these these other guys, which is unfortunate. Because as I pointed yeah. out, up next is ha huh, call the hotline. Mean Gene Okerlund with Ric Flair, Woman, and Leather Liz. Ric Flair and Savage will be a tag team at Slamboree because. That's realistic. Ric Flair says he will win the Battle Bowl overall. We'll see what happens there. Woman says Flair will end up on top. Double entendre there by Woman. 
Flair acknowledges Deborah McMichael, who's once again sitting, I won't say at ringside, but in the aisle way there, perfectly for Flair to offer her a glass of champagne, Steve. Flair's been kind of hitting on Deborah here over the last few weeks and offers her a glass of champagne this week, which she accepts, but then dumps out on the floor. So Mongo supporting that very much. Ric Flair keeps taunting the Macho Man, though, during the promo and pissing off Mongo in the interim. So we got Flair and Macho feud boiling, but he's kind of setting up for that feud with uh, Steve McMichael at the same time. Yeah, this is this is where it really kind of hammered home. Like, he's talking about, like, they, Robin Leach or something. I think Gene brought up Robin Leach, and he's like, he's not good enough to be invited to a party that Flair show, throws and He's like, I'm going to show you all the men what, what makes the nature boy go around and his Liz and woman. He wants Deborah. Uh, he's like, when it's all said and done, they'll find, she'll find out why they call me the all-around cowboy. And it's just like, he's too happy-go-lucky when he just lost the WCW title. Yeah, a week ago. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, you're right. You go back to the old days, and if he lost his title, he's throwing he'd be tirades. Livid. He'd be livid, yeah. He'd be uh, out of his mind. Going Rick, Rick Flair crazy. without the title belt is not acceptable. You're right, Steve. He's too busy chasing skirts, and that's not the nature boy. Well, that. he did do that, but that was on his off time. It was secondary. It was yes, secondary. you're right. Yeah, it absolutely. It was secondary. The WCW world go around. It was what made him tick as a person. But at the end of the day, like you said, without the belt, Rick Flair is not Rick Flair, so yeah. I need my belt back. Right, and, you and then I'll worry it. about says, the ladies. He just said Giant got lucky, uh, but I'm going to take out Savage at Slambury. Like He doesn't even care about the belt, and I get it. I mean, he's well past being on top, but I just don't – I'm not a fan of this version of Ric Flair. No, no, it's, like a, it's a completely different version of Ric Flair, and he's going along with it because he was always kind of a team player. Yeah, he's not going to say no to say. these things, which it is what it is, but I don't know. I I felt like 1985-86 Ric Flair could have really helped somewhat WCW at this time, especially with uh, Hogan gone. Like He had an opportunity to here to really stand out and do something different right. compared to what he's been doing, and he's just going through the motions of what he's been doing, and it's... Not very entertaining. You know what is entertaining? Blood Runs Cold vignettes, Steve. Yes, sir. Blood yes. Runs Cold coming to WCW. I feel like pretty soon we're going to get a debut date. It's going to be listed here uh, in these vignettes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't happen, and they postpone it for true? several more months. <laughs> I like this idea. <gasps> I don't even care. I don't. I do not. like. Uh, people don't understand like how insanely popular Mortal Kombat was when it first came out. If they had done this two years ago, this might have made them some decent money by non-wrestling fans. Just uh, Sega Genesis marks, I feel. Oh, my God, man. Mortal Kombat was next level. People talk about GTA getting shut down or whatever. Weren't they doing the same stuff for Mortal Kombat because of the violence? Oh, and Mortal Kombat, yeah, the, you could turn the blood the on blood and off. And yeah, the, the right. fatalities, the babalities eventually, all the yeah. crazy stuff, all the buttons you had to learn. Like, oh, you got to press like 17 buttons to do this. Oh, God, <laughs> we learned it anyway. We would learn it to yeah. to play those games when they came out. Oh, my God, what good times. I would go over to my cousin's house. He had the Sega, 
So I didn't, I didn't have the Sega, so it would be over his house for the, uh, the Mortal Kombat, and we would totally have weekends of fun with that show. I that, love that the game. commercial. I love yeah. the commercial for like the very first one. They're like, it's Mortal Kombat Day. And the the music is great. The voiceover is just excellent. And just good times. Even if they uh, had like, you know, Scorpion and Sub-Zero and Lizard or whatever it was, they were all the same exact character in different colors. I mean, it was the times, though. It's like, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, cares? it was huge. <laughs> Get over here. Yeah. <laughs> it was a huge, it was very popular and very, it was in the news because I'm pretty sure. Like, yeah, they had to have made a good, good chunk of it. change, whoever, whoever released that one. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that's all we get so far right now. Blood runs cold. We don't know what's happening with that right now. Even Dave Meltzer thinks it's freaking Holland Nash at this point. How? Uh, we go, I don't. It's because it's what Dave Meltzer. Do? And even though he reports a lot of facts, Steve, he also makes a lot of shit up, believe it or not. So everybody tries to be his friend, but at the same time, they also no just kind of tell it like it is. And I'm just going to tell it like Meltzer, it is there. <laughs> Davey Meltzer, boy. Uh, Make shit up? No way. <laughs> yeah. Well. Are they reenacting Oz like a frozen version of Oz? Are they going to do Yeti Oz together? Oh, wouldn't that be tremendous? Oz and Yeti. He thought out, says Tony Giovanni at World War Three. <laughs> Anyways, we'll move on with this episode of Nitro. It's Sting taking on Lord Steven Regal only one week removed from the parking lot fight. This week, Steve's accompanied by Jeeves, who was the former WCW, no, not World Championship Wrestling, Wildcat Willie. Yes, <laughs> Regal's manager, or valet, if you will, was the former Wildcat Willie on the Disney shows, the former mascot of WCW. He's now just Jeeves, accompanying Regal to ringside. Regal looking rough from last week, I wrote, as he comes to the ring. It's back-and-forth action, solid wrestling. Uh, but just the basics, but so good, Steve. Just Regal is just so. Why, why am I saying this in 2021? Regal is just so good, just a good wrestler. And uh, last week he was slinging hubcaps, but this week he's he's mat wrestling. He just everything doesn't feel right about this. We go into a commercial break. We come back. Sting makes the big comeback. Does a fucking Japanese arm drag by the Stinger of all people. But he misses the Stinger splash. Regal tries a double underhook suplex. Sting counters into a back drop of sorts. Lands on top of Regal. Makes the cover. Gets the pin. Eight minutes and 30 seconds. I wrote, solid match. You know, Regal called that finish because I don't think Steve, I don't think Sting came up with that. But this is one week after the parking lot fight. I said, Really? This really kind of angered me, Steve. 90 people under contract here in WCW by this point, and Regal is out here to put over Sting. Regal's out here to do the job one week after the street fight. You, you had something here with Regal, I felt, and you took it away from him because WCW. Yeah, I wonder if it's because the bruiser left and that was going to be the feud going forward. And now that he's gone, they don't really have anything for him, which sucks for him. But also, wouldn't it be two weeks ago since Nitro was taped last week? Yes, but, I mean, it aired last week. <laughs> right, I right. Mean, I, Ra- I mean, so WWF so. taped shit for four and five weeks. I mean, it's still, it's still right, last right, week it aired. You. you know what yeah, you're doing. I got you. 
Oh, I'm not arguing with you. I'm say, I'm I'm getting pissed off at them again all over again. Yeah, it is. This guy put on a fuck of a match last week on your program. He won. Build it up. If you want him to job to Sting, I'm not saying he should be beating Sting. I, he shouldn't even be wrestling Sting at this point. You want him to job to Sting? Put it on a fucking pay-per-view or a clash or, or something down the line. You just built this guy up. You don't get you don't yank that out from under him a week later for no fucking reason whatsoever. Sting beating Regal didn't didn't elevate Sting any more than he was already elevated, was my point. But yeah, it hurt Regal. Yeah, it did. It definitely did because like what was the what's the point of the parking lot brawl? Like it, it's completely useless. You just he just did this great match or great fight, I should say. He's a tough guy. He showed it. Uh he put himself through hell. And then the very next week he's jobbing out in a regular match to sting. When you had like you said, he had something with that brawling type style that they could have done something with him and uh they just totally ignored it. it it's just I think that's one of the biggest things that bothers me with wrestling in general. All it doesn't matter who it is, don't matter the company, nothing. Like when something happens, when you do something for no reason, like it feels like that parking lot match was completely useless. It did nothing because they didn't do anything with it. Well, so you know, it's just a one-off. It's just there, and that's I don't know what. The, so to me, like my thought process is, why even have that match? Why even make them go through something like that if you're absolutely. not going to do anything with it? Here's yeah, dude. You're preaching to the choirs, they say. But here's my (laughs) deal. And Kevin Sullivan, you know, he was the booker for the majority of this era. I'm not sure really who was at this point without going and looking, but he had a hand in all this shit, right? Yeah. Bischoff has went on record. He did not. Bischoff did not book. I mean, he might have had a say, like, yeah, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. But he didn't do. He didn't go through the semantics. He didn't book Nitro. He didn't book. You know, all this all this shit. Here's my problem. Kevin Sullivan's been in the business since the beginning of the 1970s. You know, he's from Boston. Boston. Yeah, he wasn't in the WWF in the prime years ever, ever. But he worked in the WWF in the 1970s for quite a long period of time. So he worked the New York Territory. He got over his hell in the Florida Territory. He worked for Crockett in Georgia. He turned heel from babyface to heel. He did that in Georgia. I mean, the dude's been everywhere. He's done everything he gets. He's done Alabama. He's done Smoky Mountain, ECW. I mean, the guy has done everything. He gets it. He understands business. I have no doubt that he understands how to book a territory. If he's in control of this, he knows better than this. It feels like even Kevin Sullivan at this point has cashed out. It's like, these are the 10 guys I need to put over. And nobody else matters. So it's like, yeah, Regal went over last week. I was telling the story, but now Finley. But Finley didn't really get injured. The story they tell here is Finley got glass in his eye. And he's out, but he'll be back. But the real story is he was leaving. He was going to go work out of Vons, you know, for the out of Vons territory, the CWA over in Austria and uh, Austria and George, uh, Germany and shit. So they knew he was leaving. You put Regal over, obviously, because Finley's leaving for at least what you thought was a few months. There's no reason to put Sting over Regal the very next week. It doesn't make sense. This is somebody selecting a very short amount of guys to get over and fuck everyone else. Malenko, Liger, Regal. It, it just sucks. It sucks. Do you think, like, Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan doesn't know who these people are. No, 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 no. I mean, like, 
because I remember Kevin Sullivan saying like his idea for Hogan was feeding all his feeding all his buddies. Yeah. Make him comfortable. 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 Make it, yes. Making him comfortable with me. Yep. Yep. So he trusts me. Yep. And then at that point I can take the turn to the right and do something that he may not be comfortable with, but he's gonna have he's gonna trust me because I just spent the last eight months feeding him all his buddies. So do you think that because of that, or just in general, the way Hulk Hogan has his thumb on this entire company, just ignore the fact that it's Steve Regal. Like, who cares? Like, th- that's not the point I'm making. Like, do you think he's so focused on not rocking the boat with Hulk Hogan that it's making everything else suffer? It kind of goes in line with what you just said about, you know, I got 10 people I got to worry about. And I, I said, think I it indirectly. I-, I feel, you know, I wasn't there. I can't say, and I don't know if Kevin would agree with this today, but I think it indirectly uh, affected this shit because Hogan's gone. Hogan's not paying Hogan's not watching this episode of Nitro to save his life. He could give a flying fuck less uh, what's going on while he's not there. I, I would imagine. So Regal jobbing a sting. Yeah, Regal should job a sting every day of the week. If you go sting versus Regal, who's going to win? I'd say sting. I'm not going to even question yeah. that. But why are you booking the fucking match is my question. Why yeah, is Regal that's... being put in this situation? You have 90 guys under contract. Why the fuck are you picking the guy that just beat a guy in a fucking parking lot last week? Oh, it'll put Sting over. No, it won't. Sting is Sting. He's already fucking number he's two or over. three or whatever you want to call him. He doesn't even have to have a match, and he's going to stay over, and he's going to be yeah. ready to go for his title match against the Giant. Yeah, so I it's one of those things like – I don't really know, like, man. Like when I, we, I worked on a, in an office, and we moved to all at home. We're working at home. And one of the first things, like the DPE, which is what he does – he basically is a boss. He's one of the top bosses in my, within our company. When we first moved to at home, he was like, check in on your people and make sure they're staying focused and staying on task. Because when, you, when you're at home, you're in a silo and you can kind of get lazy. And then once you get on that path, it's almost impossible to get out of it. So he's like, you got to stay on top of your people, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and keep your eye on them, which makes sense. But we're creatures of habit. Once you get in the groove of doing one thing and this is what you're worried about, it's almost it's it's really, really difficult to get out of that or move past that. No, and I feel like it was like these are our half dozen guys we're going to push. And that's and it's all like, the, the show's he's about, done. So. so much shit where it's just been nothing but Hogan. Maybe he's forgotten. <laughs> oh, shit. You know what? That was dumb. He just put his life on the line last week. And now we're jobbing him out to sting for absolutely no reason at all. What do we? Do? I messed up there. Like that. That'd be my process. Is that he's just been so used to pushing Hogan, and that's it. That nothing else matters. And no, and I, I want to move on. I want to move on to this show, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take it uh, completely left turn here for like another minute. Left turn, Albuquerque, as uh, Bugs Bunny used to say. Wow, that's a throwback. But <laughs> just for another one, like one minute, real quick. Just earlier today, I was having a conversation. I was we were, we were watching some. Old, uh, my son was in the room. My oldest, actually, twenty years old, junior in, in uh, college, and Techno Team Two Thousand came on the screen. You know, Two Thousand from the future. Bill Watts' son Eric and Chad Fortune, the future Kiss Demon, and things. Uh, we're, we're out there wrestling. And actually, it's on this one of these episodes of Raw they wrestle, I believe, too. But um, when I was talking to him, I mentioned that this was a shitty future gimmick. It was uh, Sean Royal. And whatnot, you know, back in the 80s, Dusty Rhodes had booked, what's her name? Ugh, the New Breed? New Breed, sorry. So it was the New Breed back, you know, back in, what was that, 86, 87 or whatever, 
they came in from the future. And Dusty was Booker, right, Steve? So naturally, you know, whenever you saw anybody have a feud, Jimmy Valley could be feuded with Paul Jones, and somehow Dusty's names would get brought up in the promos. Uh, you get an underneath guy cutting a promo, Dusty Rhodes' name would get just randomly brought up in the promo. The new breed would uh, proclaim that Dusty Rhodes was the president in, like, what was it, 2000 or whatever. President of the United States, Dusty Rhodes. Now, Dusty was Booker at the time, so he had to get a little chuckle. I'm going to make my feel president, if you will, maybe. So Dusty's getting a chuckle. Dusty's getting himself over in these guys' other shits. But at the same time, there's still like 10 feuds, 10 storylines, 10 matches, whatever shit. So he's still doing Dusty things where Kevin's doing whatever he's doing here. But he's still doing the right shit in other aspects of the show. And it feels like Kevin... Needs to understand, like, let Dean and Liger be Dean and Liger. Don't, you know, interrupt that with Flair because Flair's cutting a promo next segment, bro. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Dusty's president. Of course, president, president of the United States of America, baby, if you will. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Sweet Sapphire, my vice president, if you will. <laughs> uh, of course, he booked that. <laughs> So we go on with this episode of Nitro, though. It's WCW champion The Giant scheduled to take on total package Lex Luger, but Lex Luger doesn't come out when he's announced. Where the hell is Lex Luger? No. Everything goes silent and, ho, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. What a replacement. Replaces Lex Luger here for this WCW championship match on Monday Nitro, this big giant title match. I wrote, Where's Luger? We get Duggan? Bleh. Shitty bait and switch, which I do feel was a really shitty bait and switch on the fans who were attending, or not attending, but turning to TNT to watch this show. I'm going to see the giant Luger? Oh, this might be another title change. No, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who did have a fairly decent match with the giant a few months ago on Nitro, but not this time. Duggan attacks the giant as he's trying to climb over the top rope into the ring. He still has his belt on, which made me laugh because he's like literally beating this dude while he's wearing the belt still. Giant has to like basically no sell this as the referee holds him back. I don't know if Duggan jumped the gun or what happened here, but Duggan has to like back off and then attack him a second time when the bell rings. So now we have a match. Giant again, no sells. And at that point, once Giants actually in the ring, the match is all downhill from there, which is basically from the beginning. Giant beats down Hacksaw. He misses a uh, flying ass bump into the corner, for lack of a better term. Has to sell like, oh, my God, I hurt my back. I hurt my ass. Ah! Uh, Duggan still wants to come back for offense, but he can't slam the Giant. So the Giant continues his quote-unquote offense here. It's not a pretty match at all. Duggan finally, he, he can't take it anymore. Duggan realizes he cannot defeat the Giant. He can't even get any offense on the Giant. So he digs down into those trunks, goes over Great Granny's tape, <laughs> tape for the tape fist. He starts wrapping up his tape. He's wrapping up his fist with the tape, but oh nope, God. not enough time. He turns around into a shitty choke slam. Not enough height there, Hacksaw. Sorry, brother. I love you, but. <laughs> this was not a pretty match at all. A squash <laughs> match, uh, to say the least. Jim 
clearly didn't even want to jump for the choke slam here. The giant gets the win on a choke slam. Three minutes, 14 seconds. Uh, the giant attacks Duggan again after the match. Hits a choke slam again. This one much better. It looked like a normal choke slam. So good for Hacksaw for getting up the second time anyway. Then out comes the uh, the backstage guys. Here comes Cobra. If you know what I'm talking about there. Cobra takes yes. the choke slam driver, as I wrote it here, because the giant just tries his head through the mat. The Cuban assassin even out here. Fidel Sierra, he eats a choke slam, and Alex Wright with another good choke slam on him. So the giant wipes out four guys. No problem there. And out comes Ric Flair. Woo! And he's got a wooden chair. So, you know, the first thing out of my mind when I saw that, Steve, was, oh, this chair's breaking. Which it does. Because <laughs> you don't see wooden chairs in 1996. <laughs> Ric Flair yeah. breaks the chair over the giant, which he knows sells again as well. So the giant was only staggered. And he went for the choke slam on Flair. That's when Sting comes out, finally comes out and clips the knee of the giant off the top rope. And it was completely across the ring. The giant was nowhere near where Sting climbed. I was like, is Sting going to make this? Because we've seen some shit recently, Steve, where guys just start making these leaps. But uh, Sting does uh, (laughs) connect. The giant still half-ass sells it. Sting with like a a half dozen chop blocks, punches, a, a really shitty top rope, double axe handle thingy, I wrote. And then uh, knocks the giant down finally, though, after like 46 blows and locks in the scorpion death lock. Jimmy Hart from behind nails the stinger, who's tag team partners with Luger, who's managed by Jimmy Hart. But Jimmy Hart here nails Sting from behind with the megaphone, which Sting no-sells. So why let go of the hold stinger? But he does. And then Luger runs in finally at the end of the Nitro show after all this nonsense. Lex Luger, who was supposed to be challenging for the title, runs in wearing street clothes and a Halliburton because that was the thing to do when you were an upper-class wrestler back then. You basically carried your shit in a IRS briefcase. So he comes out in a Halliburton with a Halliburton in hand. Giant and Jimmy Hart back off, teasing the idea that Jimmy Hart didn't want the Giant to tangle with Lex Luger. A lot of questions to be raised here. We go back to the match, though, Steve. Giant Duggan, not a good match, and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a very good match. Pretty shitty bait and switch, like you said. <laughs> yeah, they knew better. They, <laughs> but, they knew what they were doing before they did it, so it was really shitty. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, there's really not much to say. The, the big part was the angle itself uh, afterwards. I guess now would be a good time to send thoughts and prayers to Duggan. You know, yeah. he just had surgery for his prostate cancer. Yeah, it's, so, uh, no, uh, no offense to Duggan here. It wasn't a no, good no, segment. Uh, but I, no, I agree it wasn't. With you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thoughts and prayers to him. Hopefully uh, you're back up and going soon. I don't mind Duggan. I never really had an issue with Duggan. I always, whatever for whatever reason, he's just one of those dudes that the crowd bought into. It was always like over. Every, always over. Always over. Always. Him and Honky Tonk, and, man. I put it right up there, always over. Duggan more yeah. so on the national scale, but Honky, he could draw and he could get over on the indies for like 15 years after he ever was anything because he was right. the gimmick. But Hacksaw, I mean, even in, you can see, even in, like you said, even in WCW or when he would come back to WWE every once in a while, the gimmick. He's always yeah, over. Yeah, he's always over. Yeah. It's it's tremendous to have that longevity. Yeah. I, I, I think too he picked he found something the hoe and 
uh, the finger and the tough guy and the two by four, like it's it's relatable to a lot of people. And people so, don't realize a lot of that stuff came with him, like from the Watts territory for that from that last yeah. year he was with Watts because he's been there since '82, I feel like. But he'd been there for so long. I mean, he developed himself over several years there. But that last year he was in the UWF and Mid South and whatever. That's where we got that Americana dug in and, and just, you know, the tough guy and all that all that stuff. But it really developed, obviously, beyond that here in the, the WWF and obviously WCW now. Yeah, but uh, no, the segment wasn't very good, um, but the aftermath was good. The only thing I didn't like, I don't like, why is Ric Flair coming out? I get it. You got beat for the belt, but why are you going out here with a chair to hit Yeah, it just giant? felt like a weird random thing in the middle of this uh, post-match thing. It felt very random. Especially yeah. when the very next guy out is Sting. So it looks like Sting is coming to Ric Flair's rescue, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, so it did, like, it, that didn't make any sense to me. Like, what, I'm like, what are we doing? I felt like what, it should be one doing? or the other. Does Ric Flair come out yeah. and break the chair and he no-sells it, or does Sting come out and, and yeah, it... it both of them, it just it really Sting threw me off. Like you're sense. telling two stories at the same time. Yeah, it makes more sense for Sting to be out there because you're building up Slamboree for the title, yeah. right? Flair has clearly moved on from the Giant. All he did was say he got lucky. Then he was worried about shagging Deborah and spending Macho's money. So why does he care about what the Giant's doing right now? Uh, why even mess with him? He should have stayed at his table, watched all the action unfold, and. Let Sting handle the business, and then obviously Lex Luger comes in at the end there with his suitcase and gym clothes on. So I don't know. Two weeks in a row, the main event's kind of been lackluster with the rest of the card being pretty decent. Yeah, I actually saw Lex do that before legitimately. <laughs> I guess Ludwig Borga running his uh, clothes to, to wrestle Ludwig because uh, he was late to the show. So it was kind of <laughs> kind of funny to see this here. We close out the show as time's running out on the show. Mean Gene Oakland wants to talk to Sting and Lex Luger. Sting calls out Luger. Where has he been? Where the hell were you? You had a title match scheduled. What's going on? Luger says, why would he miss two straight title shots? Doesn't make any sense as they continue the Sting and Luger storyline. I know you said you had some notes here you want to talk about. To that I ask, why does Luger do anything he does, though, Steve? He asks Sting, why would I, why would I skip two title shots? Lex, you do a lot of weird shit, so why would you do anything? <laughs> and at that point, we're out of time, if it was Tony Schiavone anyway. And that's the uh, end of the episode, as we learn next week. It's supposed to be the Giant again, defending the title against Luger if he shows up. The Steiners against Public Enemy, and Chris Benoit versus David Taylor, and Flair versus Michael Wall Street, VK Wall Street, whatever he is at this point. But uh, those are supposedly the matches for next week, so... We're out of time here. You got any uh, shit you want to talk about here with uh, Sting and Luger? No, I've, I can't remember when exactly it was said, but I think Mongo is making the point like Sting better watch his back because as soon as Luger gets the opportunity, he would lay him out with the briefcase. And um, Bischoff was like, no, I don't think he would. He's not that type of person. He wouldn't do that to his friend. He, and then like Bischoff's even kind of starting to think that Luger is telling the truth. So... Like I said, this feud and this storyline has gone on for quite a long time. And now the the announcers are kind of even changing up their thought process on what they think is going to happen and that sort of stuff. So so let's look at the segment of the night then. Is it uh, D. Malenko versus Jushin Liger? Is it Sting versus Regal in a solid TV match? Is it the, the Macho Madness storyline? What Beat the shit out of the referee, Hugh Morris? And everything <laughs> what was your favorite part of this show? 
I really like the the savage angle just because Macho is so believable, like you mentioned. Um, but I really like the Malenko Liger match. Um, Liger is so cool to watch. He's so unique and different and uh, fun. So you like at, by this point, like you've had cruiserweight matches, but you didn't get them all the time. Like every show didn't have one. So when you did get one, and especially with somebody like Liger, you pay attention. It was cool. I like that was my favorite part. Yeah, you know, I wrote my first two things I wrote on here were Dean versus Liger, Sting, and Regal. I don't think till today did I add the Macho Man segment just because I realized how fun it was, like what he did and everything like that. But uh, obviously, my initial thing was Dean and Liger. It was just different, and we got it. It, it came on our TV. Pro- it wasn't just the names. It was a good match. It was a good a good segment of the TV show. It brings me back thirty years ago. Thirty years. Oh my God, I'm so old. In elementary school or, or beginning of uh, junior high, what they call middle school now, Liger's video wrestling Brian Pillman, Christmas Night in the Omni, 1991. First time I'd ever seen Liger, well, besides Starcade, or I think Starcade was after Christmas uh, night that, that year, actually. But watching that and going to school and uh, kids around me going, oh, man, he could beat Eligante which people laugh and chuckle at based on the name and things like that. But they're saying this, this cruiserweight eventually become to know, be known as a cruiserweight could beat a seven foot seven guy. They're basically the, their mindset was he can beat anybody because, Oh my God, the shit he can do. We'd never seen any of that before. Right. And uh, Christmas, 1991, the, the right. shit that the Liger was doing against Brian Pillman there. And then, then the, the great match we got to see at Super Bowl followed the following year. So it sticks with me 30 years later. I remember kids I haven't talked to in 30 years saying, oh, my God, he could beat Eligante of all the names. Instead of Ric Flair's thing, it was Eligante because he was a giant. So you, you go to the monster. He could beat anybody of any size because he just is amazing. And then we get Liger coming back here in 96, working Dean here on TV. It was a good match. So I got to go with you. It wasn't the greatest thing of all time, but it was, no. the, it was my favorite thing on the show. So I'm down with that as well. Dean Malenko and Jushin Liger, my favorite segment of the night as well. We're going into WWF Monday Night Raw. Before we do, just two quick pieces of notes. First, WWE going on a Kuwait tour. The news is all five shows in Kuwait this coming week reportedly have more than 20,000 tickets sold per night, which would make it the biggest tour in terms of attendance for the WWF in a long time. And that was always nice to have in their back pocket, even when business was down, let's do a tour because you would go to countries. You never really worked that often and you would sell out because whether it was England or Germany or Italy or wherever you were going, Spain, or in this case, Kuwait for the, I think the first time ever you would likely sell out or at least you would do pretty good money. Yeah. Smart. And then also there's some news on what I labeled distrucity. Steve, I don't know if you know what that is. I'm sure you, sure you will before 1996 <laughs> is over. Jim Helwig, who you may know as the Ultimate Warrior, has created Ultimate Creations. And they have come to terms with Titan Sports. They've joined together, Steve, in a business partnership where Titan will promote Warriors Gym in Phoenix and use it as a WWF training center, supposedly, and also promote the Warriors' other merchandise including his comic book. In return, you know what the WWF gets? The Warrior <laughs> hasn't left yet. Yeah. On paper, it sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> Warrior man here. 
<laughs> that's what I want to see. <sighs> no, it, it, it makes sense. I I can't bag on it. It's just it's the Ultimate Warrior, man. You've had so many issues with him before. Why would you even trust him to do something like this? Well, you know what they uh, get. They get. They get what they sign up for here. <laughs> that's yeah, for fucking, that's, that's for damn that's sure. That's what. That's what I don't understand. <laughs> know your audience, huh? It's it's a different year, pal. He's a different warrior. Okay. Yeah, because he's in a ponytail with a fucking know. baseball cap and sunglasses talking about warrior man here. Yeah, it's, it done. is a different fucking one. I, yeah, that was it. I, I no, no, kept, I was done. Not even that. Oh, okay. I was done the day he came out on Raw and his face paint was just black. Like You just okay. had the black warrior face. You remember that? I, I think it was when he's in yeah. the ring with Lawler. Kicking, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the uh, paint, uh, with the uh, portrait, yeah. Uh, it's just all black, and I'm like, you cussing, and he's cussing. It, shit you don't even ass. give this shit anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you gave up. No, you just wanted to make money. Yeah, that's all that was. This is a cash grab. Absolutely. You know what's crazy? He gets a bigger cash grab a couple years from now. Can't wait for that one. Yeah, that's some money. That's some money for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, too bad he's not still around. Oh, WCW. Somebody needs to do. Somebody needs to do like a case study on the Ultimate Warrior. I don't even know how you would, and be accurate anyway. <laughs> I don't oh know. We're God. gonna go on to our last show of this episode of the Warfare, though. It's Monday Night Raw for May 6, nineteen ninety six, taped last week. It's April twenty ninth in Sioux City, Iowa. We kick things off with a quick video of uh, Ray the Crippler Stevens passing away, like we mentioned on Nitro. Born September 1935, died 1996 at the age of 60 in a heart attack. Ray the Crippler Stevens passes away, so even Vince acknowledges him and his uh, run, unfortunately, at the end of his career there in the early 80s in the WWF. We kick things off with a hell of a match. Mark Marrow with Sable in his corner, taking on the 1-2-3 kid with Ted DiBiase in his corner. This is a rematch from the In Your House pay-per-view, the free-for-all of the pay-per-view anyway, Triple H actually cost Mark Merrow, or actually cost the kid the match by disqualification interfering. So now we get the rematch. Triple H here at ringside on commentary for this match. So they're working on a Triple H Merrow feud continuing based on Merrow taking Sable from him. Merrow early on gets the offense, does a nosedive plancha straight on his face on the outside of the ring. <laughs> Slingshot splash back inside, but lands on the one, two, three kid's knees. And then we get heat on Mark Marrow as the kid applies the forever sleeper as it just seems to go on forever. And through a commercial break, back from break, Mark Marrow makes the comeback. And the kid takes a nasty flying bump over the top rope to the floor. I wrote, no wonder he has nagging injuries. He has taken some of the most ridiculous bumps from the ring to the floor, going all the way back to Global. Tyler totally remember when Global against Jerry Lynn and the nonsense bump off the top rope onto the stage, but it's went on since then. Razor tossing him through the ropes, and this one here again against Mark Miro. The match continues. Miro nails the somersault plancha outside onto the kid. The ref then back inside the ring gets distracted. As Miro goes to the top rope, Triple H crotches him. The kid climbs up and tries for a superplex, but Miro falls on top. Mark Miro this time gets the win in 11 minutes. Solid TV match. Yeah, my first nose lay. This is uh this should be a solid match on paper. Um and it delivered. I thought it was really good. He took that drop he ran and did like a running drop kick that sent kid over the top, but it's unfortunate for guys like the kid and 
some of those smaller guys back then, like this is what they had to do to get themselves over. Yeah. They're really good wrestlers, but uh, they had to sell and take bumps that big guys just didn't have to take because big guys are over off their size. Whereas these guys are trying to establish themselves. That's how you got noticed. Yeah. Yeah. So what's Mick Foley's excuse? But anyway, um, (laughs) um, no, I just, it's unfortunate because you're about to read some news here on the kid and, uh, it sucks, but it is what it is. But yeah, this is a hell of a match. Both guys work really well together, and um, solid, solid stuff. Yeah. So oh, I got a, I got a question real quick though. Absolutely. Did yeah. You pick up. Uh, uh, so Hunter made a comment. They talking about Sable and Meryl oh stealing her from him from okay. Hunter. Yeah. And Hunter was like, uh, "If you're going to steal from someone, it might as well be me." Which is a great line because this just uh, that's what a snob would say. Well, you might as well steal from the rich. But um, the very next thing Lawler said, Hunter's name is the only thing that law lo- that's long, and Hunter just starts laughing because <laughs> he didn't <laughs> let Lawler finish. Yeah, but Lawler finished, and he's like his yachts, his boats, his limos, and right. that sort of stuff. But as soon as he said, it's not the only thing that's long. You can hear Hunter break character, and he does like a chuckle. I, I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. But um, no, yeah, I didn't pick up on that. But that was classic Lawler. He always had a punchline to it to cover his his shit. So yeah, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. It yeah. was funny. That was great. So Miro pins one two three kid here. Of course, Sid's already gone from the company. They were trying to build up on a you know big and small tag team. There was Sid and the kid going into the year, but Sid's gone, and the one two three kid. Uh, DeMeltz reports will be out of action for a while now, Steve, after some May tapings he did. He did some tapings for here for Raw, and I think he's got a couple of matches on Superstars as well. Uh, but he showed up in no condition to work for a Superstars taping coming up here in May and will be out for at least several weeks. I don't believe he ever returns to the WWF until X-Pac. Uh, DeMeltz reports the kid may have suffered yet another concussion, which would be at least... Around number 13 in 1996 during the European tour. And when the numbers get that high, it's very serious business because the brain just can't take that many concussions without damage. Yes, we knew that in 1996, people. There is serious concern about his future. Of course, we know Sean Waltman would return. He would work WCW. He would come back as X-Pac for many, many years. He would get X-Pac heat. He would coin that term. So, uh, I mean, he's, he's around for a lot longer after this, but this is pretty much it for the one, two, three kid here in May between raw and superstars, uh, for till X-Pac anyway. Yeah. And I think even when he makes the jump, he doesn't do a lot of wrestling like right. initially. Right. I mean, he does some, but not, not a yeah. lot. So yeah, that's insane to think about. Like in 96, he had at least 13 concussions and he went on or he's still wrestling. So, I mean, Lord knows how many he's picked up along the way. He could be up in the 50s. You know, who knows? So, yeah, people act like we just now figured out about concussions or that's what the NFL would want you to think. But that's why it always baffled my mind. Like, even if we didn't know, something has to tell you inside your head that taking unprotected chair shots to the head is not a good idea. Well, the word concussion wouldn't exist if you didn't know something was wrong. Right. Am I right? I mean, right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I mean, like, I just don't, oh, we didn't know any better. Bullshit. (laughs) I don't, I don't buy that as an excuse to take. Yeah. And I like, like fully taking like 20 unprotected shots at the Royal Rumble. That makes absolute, 
what in your right mind can tell you? Well, he does blame Rock for those. Sick. He does blame Rock for those. But yeah, I get what you're saying. No, those are those are the nastiest things. Between but but besides Salmon and Balls Mahoney, those and Masato Tanaka maybe, those are the nastiest chair shots I've ever seen on Earth. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he blames the Rock for that. Yeah, he said Rock took some liberties. He didn't say it in a mean way because I think Rocky took some liberties. I mean, he said that many many years ago. Well, the Rock did lay some in. Uh, yeah, Rock Ken was Shamrock. not. Yeah, <laughs> you need to go back and watch the Rock swinging chairs. He wasn't uh, shy. By far, no, he was not. No, he laid him in. I guess that was the business back then. I don't know, but I don't, it's, I'm glad that is long gone. I don't care what anybody says. I get upset that I know somebody's not going to get hit overhead with a chair. Like, oh, he's not going to hit over the chair. He's going to hit over the back. Because they might set a segment up or a spot up where they're going to do it. And then I'm like, well, I know he's not going to do it. That upsets me because I know yeah. it's not going to happen. At the same time, I don't need to see it 40 times. If they do it once or twice a year, I'm not against that. Uh, no, I'm not either, but... But, yeah, the way it was I would now. do what <laughs> they did in AEW with the very soft, you know, folding chair or whatever, even though it messed up. Right. I, I still think uh, that'd be the way to go. Gimmick a chair to where it's Yeah, basically... like that broken wooden chair Ric Flair hit over the chair. <laughs> Just gimmick a chair with, like, a cookie if you sheet wheel, or something. If you wheel, if you wheel, if you wheel, baby. So this episode of Raw goes on. We see a clip from Superstars. Remember last week on Raw, Savio Vega challenged Stone Cold Steve Austin to a Caribbean strap match at In Your House? Well, Ted DiBiase, the manager of Stone Cold, agrees to the match. Austin versus Vega in a strap match. If Vega agrees, if he loses the match, he will be Ted's chauffeur. Because that's just Vince McMahon for you folks. We go on vignette time featuring an ex-wife. Ugh, this is this, this no, this I hate is bad. This. this is not good. <laughs> vignette time featuring an quote unquote ex-wife of a former pro wrestler. That's that's how it's worded. She claims there's former she, pro wrestlers. And <laughs> yes, there's former pro wrestlers. This is nineteen ninety six, so maybe he retired in like eighty two, eighty five, eighty nine, I don't know. Well no, because Sean would have to wrestle, wrestling. so yeah, well yeah, they probably are. Anyways, I'm curious who this girl is. Anyways, anywho, she's in that like dark shadowy thing, so you can hear her talking, but you can't see her face. So it's like old school um, unsolved mysteries type shit. You can't really tell who she is. Uh, she says that Shawn Michaels is a homewrecker, and he ruined her <laughs> marriage and her life. One Ooh. day when her husband was on the road, Shawn schmoozed her way into her home. And you know the rest, Steve. She does claim that Sean is the best she's ever had. Wow, really? And it was a torrid affair. Her Sean husband right her husband, uh, then found out about this <laughs> affair and went on to lose to Shawn Michaels the next time they fought. So oh, she God. claims that Shawn Michaels used her, Steve, and she doesn't want to see it happen again with Diana Smith. And I wrote, was this Sonny? Was this Skip? Of course, she's still there, and he's still there, so I guess not. But we do know the story between Tammy Sitch and Shawn Michaels. <laughs> I love when the segment ends that Vince even admits how shitty this is by saying, our producers will do anything for a rating. So, <laughs> I was wondering if you go pick up on that. Yeah, I picked up on it. And oh yeah, I kept, yeah, it was even Vince admits this is 
silly nonsense. This is sleazy. This is shitting sleazy. on himself. Our producers will do anything for a rating because it was nonsense. This ex-wife shitting on Shawn Michaels. Was it Tatanka's wife? I mean, everybody took a turn on her, right? I suppose at this point, I have no idea. But yeah, so that's no that's either. that's where we are with this Davy Boy and Shawn Michaels gimmick at this point. Yeah, uh, I don't even really care to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, there's not much to say. It's not that <laughs> good. good. We'll move just, on. I just stare at the ground when when these segments air. It's like, what? What am I doing? I don't know. Just yeah, get to, get to the match, guys. Life? Let's go to the match yeah. with a double pin. Yeah. Yeah, classic. They're not bad matches, though. So. No, no, no. But the shit leading in was irrelevant. They deserve. Yeah. I, I will. They deserve better than what they, they do. Got they deserve a better story, which is as simple yeah. as I'm the British Bulldog and I deserve a title shot. That's it. Yep. It writes itself, guys. There's not much to it. Yep. We continue on with this show. Fa two, trying to make a difference, taking on the British Bulldog, accompanied by Diana and Jim Cornette in his corner. Bulldog tries to go after the head of Fatu to no avail. Have you not been watching wrestling for the last at least five years in the company? Fatu then dominates the match until he's dropped crotch first across the top rope, and then Bulldog clotheslines Fatu out to the floor. Match continues. The Bulldog then gets heat on Fatu. Cornette even chokes Fatu with the tennis racket. And then out come the Samoan gangsta party, Steve. It's sweet Sammy the Silk. That's Samu. And Big Maddie Smalls, that's Rosie. So Samu, the former head shrinker, partner Fatu in dreadlocks. And the future Rosie of uh, three-minute warning and then the superhero in training and things. So it's Samu and Rosie out here trying to sell crack to the crowd, Steve. As uh, yes, they call oh, them Fatu's family members are out here. They're also at the same exact time working in ECW on TV, mind you, as the Samoan gangsta party feuding with the gangsters, New Jack and Mustafa, trying to drive over New Jack's skull with a car. And there's, it's just, it's, I, I, this is going on in my TV right now. This is reality, and my mind is blown. As the the match goes on, (laughs) these guys, they are fucking drug dealers, which makes me think one of two things. Why is Razor Ramon gone? Perfect time for Razor to work with these guys. Or did they run Razor off? Was he on the wrong corner? Is that why Razor's gone now? (laughs) Because the Simone Gangster Party have arrived. What interesting timing. As we go into a commercial break, we come back. The British Bulldog misses a leg drop. Fatu then hulks up. Hits the running diamond cutter, which Fadu's been working on lately. He's been doing the diamond cutter. Jim Cornette tries to distract, but Bulldog runs into Jimmy. Bulldog and Cornette collide, and Bulldog still mounts to come back and nails Fatu with an inside-out clothesline and the running power slam. Bulldog picks up the win in nine minutes. Post-match, after Bulldog picks up the win, Fatu leaves. He runs into his former partner Samu, which they don't sell as such, and Big Maddie Smalls, the Samoan gangsta party, in the aisleway, they're either trying to sell him crack or get him to come back and work on the corners with them in San Francisco. Either way, Fatu's having none of it, man. He's trying to make a difference here in the WWF. I wish they would have finished this or did something. I, I, I would have liked to have seen where it went. I don't know that I wish they would have, but I, I would have liked to have seen where it went, that's for sure. Hey, man, they, I would love to have seen <laughs> Samu versus Fatu. I, I'm sure that would have been pretty good. But no, this I didn't mind it. 
the match was decent. I like how Bulldog was kind of switching up, showing some personality by mocking like Shawn Michaels every time he did something. Right. He did like the the pose, and he was flexing and blowing kisses to people and kissing his peg, his uh, his arms and and things like that. So it's like he was showing some personality that we haven't seen yet from him. And the match was decent. I mean, it wasn't bad. Fatu well, had some nice good, spots. Solid and, uh, TV match, yeah. Uh, and Bulldog looked good, and I think that's what you want when he's about to go for the title. So, um, and then obviously with the Samoan Gangster Party showing up, they tease something, but we never get it. Yeah, all in all, decent segment, good stuff. Yeah, this might be the only uh, Samoan Gangster Party segment we see on Raw. I know they pop up on Superstars a couple times, and then then they're just gone. We never see a follow up to this story whatsoever. Did I they? did even even back then, I knew that was Samu. And I'm sitting there like, two years ago, these guys were fucking head shrinkers, bro. Now one dude's like trying to make a difference. The other dude's trying to sell crack. This is this ruins wrestling for me, Steve. Yeah, I'm fucking, oh, I'm old enough to drive a car now, but I'm it still ruins wrestling for me, Steve. Damn it. They, I know they were in ECW too. Right. Were they done after their ECW run, like these two together? Yeah, I, I don't know that they ever did anything ever again. I don't remember seeing Sammy went on anything after that, or Rosie until, you know, three-minute warning. I know he went on, you know, did whatever they did, but it's mostly just indies, I think, after that for them, too. I didn't know if they took the gangster party to another, probably indie or, or, or something. Right. We move on with the show. It's the tag team champions, Body Donna's with Sonny in their corner. Taking on Techno Team 2000. Coming back to like a year hiatus, it seems like. Travis and Troy, that's Eric Watts and Chad Fortune. You guys might remember Eric Watts as the son of Cowboy Bill Watts. Chad Fortune would go on to become the Kiss Demon in WCW, Steve. <laughs> I was wondering who that one was. I knew Eric Watts. I seen him. You could pick him out, but I right. didn't know who the other guy was. But yeah, good to know. Good to know. Get stuck in a fucking casket trying to come out on live nitro at some or thunder or whatever that was at some point years away but it'll happen eventually here uh, <laughs> anywho we get video clips from superstars remember the godwins are going to wrestle the rockers in a rematch for number one contenders we see sunny distracting phineas yet again costing the godwins a match the rockers the new and improved rockers become the number one contenders. I don't even know what happens with that. I can't wait to get to that point because I don't remember it all. As this match is going on between the Body Donnas and Techno Team 2000, Harvey Whippleman, of all people, comes ringside and starts taking notes on the referees and officials. Eric Watts, who I believe is Troy, does a nice-looking assisted stinger splash. I wrote, holy shit, he did a wrestling move. As we go into commercial, we come back, the Rockers are watching in the back, watching the Body Donnas they got a tag team title match coming up here pretty soon. The Donnas get the heat on Eric Watts, but Watts get the hot tag to Chad Fortune, Travis, if you will. But there's illegal shenanigans going on. Skip goes up top, hits the top rope, Rana, and Zip comes flying off with a double axe drop, I wrote, because just too far away for whatever he's going for. It was very sloppy. No matter what, the body Donnas pick up the win over Techno Team 2000. In eight minutes. That's just this thing your splash is really cool. It actually connected pretty nicely. Uh, he got over him, so that's pretty cool. This wasn't a bad match. It was just kind of there, but it wasn't bad uh, at all to me. 
Yeah, I still I feel I have pity on Eric Watts for you know how he got into the business and it just kind of screwed him from there moving forward. Obviously, Chad Fortune made a few bucks in WCW. I will say, like I've watched some TNA, like the pay per view years or the the, yeah. the weekly years. Yeah, and I I actually really enjoyed Eric Watts when he came in and kind of was the commissioner and stuff in there. Yeah, from my understanding, um, that was like you know he really you know did did a really good job. So it's yeah, he was cutting some good promos and. And then all of a sudden, I think obviously Russo was booking and he gets put in a shit situation with Goldilocks, who that was bad. It, it started off really good for him, and I think he was over and he did his role well, but then it just the wheels fell off because yeah, like I'm not said, really sure what happened here in the WF other than the gimmick sucked and they looked very awkward as, at their size in these silly costumes. But they came in. They worked a couple months as a real team, if you will, in the in the summer, yeah. early early late spring, early summer of '95. They disappeared for almost a year, and now that you know guys are getting injured and shit, all of a sudden they're back here in the WWF here for a few weeks. Tops here right now in the WWF, so it's unfortunate. But this is pretty much the end that we see of Techno Team 2000, the best I can remember. It Show almost goes. feels like uh, Watts needs to get that gold dust treatment where he gets far away from what his dad was or what right. Right. you would expect him to be with who his dad is. Right. Um, but he never got that opportunity. I would no. TNA maybe a little bit, but yeah, it's unfortunate for him. Show goes on. Jim Ross, by God, interviews Vader and Jim Cornette. Yokozuna will make his return to In Your House to challenge Vader one-on-one after the broken leg Yoko suffered from Vader not that long ago, Cornette says the leg of Yokozuna will not hold up underneath all that weight. So he's he's saying Yoko might have healed from the the injury, but that weight is just not going to allow it to continue Yoko to wrestle as the same as he was before the injury. Vader has Duke the Dumpster Drossy next week. Corny says if it's time to take out the trash, then out goes the dumpster. I'm sure that's probably true. We haven't gotten there yet, but uh, Duke the Dumpster Drossy uh, scheduled to take on Vader next week on Monday Night Raw. As we close this episode of Raw, it's The Undertaker. What a match. On paper, looking at the names, The Undertaking on Owen Hart, also with Jim Cornette in his corner, and Goldust on commentary with a gold microphone, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) So, for absolutely no reason, Goldust randomly in a feud out of nowhere with The Undertaker during the middle of the Mankind Undertaker feud. This just felt force-fed. It really didn't make any sense to me. But we learned that it's Goldust versus The Undertaker in a casket match at In Your House for no apparent reason as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't figure out why there's a casket match going on between Goldust and Undertaker. There's just no story there. Goldie leaves commentary after he finds out that he's wrestling the Undertaker in a casket match. Or does he? It seems like a ploy Goldust doesn't leave as Taker dominates Owen Hart. Goldust gets up into the commercial break to taunt the Undertaker. Back from break, Goldust distracts Taker while Owen takes over and finally gets heat on the dead man. Goldust then stalks Paul Bearer at ringside. I can only describe this as awesome and weird. At the same time, Steve, as Goldust gooses Paul Bearer, grabs his ass, and even Paul Bearer is so taken back by it that he runs away from ringside. He, he leaves ringside, heads to the back because he's had his ass grabbed. Paul Bearer has had his ass grabbed. 
And uh, I wrote, what a homophobe. Could you imagine Paul Bearer, a homophobe? I just. Oh, I doubt it. He represents death, and he's worried about sexuality. It's, it's, it was kind of weird. A lot of weird shit going on in this match. Vince poor, And poor Owen in the middle of all of it. it has nothing to do with any of this shit, by the way. He's like this, the odd man out. If this is Russo's like entry, like this is, you got to do well on this so you're not getting the job type deal. And then he goes to Vince McMahon and is like, Bro. How about we have gold dust, how about we have gold dust pinch their ass? Bro. Oh, that's good shit, pal. Bro. All right, bro. I got this. <laughs> it's so he said, does it. And Vince is probably dying inside seeing Paul Bear run away after he got his ass pinched. Wow. So as the match goes on, Owen tries for the sharpshooter, but Undertaker grabs Owen by the throat, chokes his way out before Owen can apply the hold. Owen goes out to the floor. Goldust helps Owen back to the ring by grabbing his ass. More bro, <laughs> bro. Yeah. <laughs> and so Owen back in the ring. That, that distracts Owen Hart, who turns around and is like, did you just grab my ass? To which... He turns around into the tombstone pile driver. Undertaker pins Owen in eight minutes. Uh, post-match, Goldust taunts the Undertaker, but then gets a little scared. Tries to leave ringside, but runs into a, yes, Paul Bear is back out with a golden casket, complete with a Hollywood Walk of Fame star with the word Goldust inside on top. Goldust becomes scared. He and Marlena retreat ringside. So there's just this random casket match with Goldust and the Undertaker, which has no build whatsoever, but it's happening all of a sudden now. Yeah, I'm trying to think if Vince um, no. No. mentioned something. Like no. I thought, <laughs> uh, I thought at the beginning of the commentary when Goldust sat down, like he messed with the Undertaker, or did something. I think Vince tried to sell, but I can't remember what was said. But I don't. I don't. You know grabbed his saying. dead balls. Yeah. Uh, sure. I, I, I will know. say Goldust during the match. Like started fantasizing about his cold body, like yeah. midway. So I'm yeah. wondering if that's what they use to sell it. But Nefro shit, yeah. For no reason. Necro. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but the match was good. It just sucks. Like you, you, you see Taker and Owen on paper, and it's like, man, that'd be cool. But there's just a lot of shenanigans going on outside of just their match. Off the so top of my head, that's the only time I can remember them wrestling. I mean, this is the that's definitely possible. I mean, Goldust is grabbing Paul Bear's ass. He's grabbing Owen's ass. Owen's doing the job. I He's mean, talking about rubbing up on Undertaker's cold body and yeah. getting goosebumps thinking about it and all that stuff. So it's just oh, like it's, it's just, a, it was just a match. Yeah, it's kind of what he was doing. But yeah. um, yeah, if it was just a match where the you know the focus was on him, it been pretty good. But uh, for what we got, it wasn't bad for TV. <laughs> Segment of the night was it Mark Miro? Wow, we can all be back. Wow, it, feels, it was one hour show and it feels like it was like forever ago. Mark Miro yeah. versus the one, two, three kid, Undertaker versus Owen, uh, the attempted drug deal that didn't go down after the Fatu yeah. match. Like, what was your favorite segment of this show? I do love this small gangster party, but no, <laughs> um, I, I had to go with Mark Merrill and the kid. I, I've seen that like opening, I was like, okay, this is gonna be good. So when you see names like that, you just kind of pay attention more than you normally would. Yeah. Like, Body Don is a techno team. I'm not really paying much attention. But you see Kid Merrill, especially Merrill now, he's not at the point where he's kind of melded in a little bit. So I was I was interested in seeing this. And so that was my favorite part. It was a really good match. Nice back and forth. But the show itself had a lot of good action 
for pretty much the whole show. Like it wasn't a bad show at all. No, I I felt like uh, compared to last week's episode, this was definitely a much better episode wrestling wise. And I got to go with you, Marrow and Kid was the best thing on the show. Solid match, yeah. nothing wrong with it whatsoever. The rest of it, whatever. And I'm 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 down with you too. I loved seeing Samu trying to sell crack, so that was fun. <laughs> but at the same time, I got to go with Miro over the kid and the opener as far as segment of of the week, which it needs to change if we're going to compete with WCW moving forward. However. The ratings are in. And for this week, the WWF drew the second highest Raw rating in history on May 6th. Yes, Samu selling crack drew the second highest rating in Raw history. (laughs) With the WWF doing a 4.1 rating and a 5.2 share for The Undertaker versus Owen. The Shawn Michaels scandal storyline, and yeah, yeah, Simone Giggs party slanging crack, slanging rocks in the aisleway. That's right. WCW Nitro does a 1.9. Raw 4.1. Nitro 1.9. You got to remember, you got to put this in context, though, Steve. Nitro's coming on at 7 p.m. at this point. Raw's still coming on at 8, what was this? 8.57 or whatever. Something whatever they were doing. Like something that, yeah. something nonsensical like that. So Nitro doing the 7 p.m. thing. They're doing less than half of what Raw is. That'll change very soon and for 83 weeks, by the way, I should mention. But for right now, Raw uh, stomping Nitro with these 7 p.m. shows with the NBA playoffs. So uh, Nitro does do 1.1 rating on the replay, which is notable because that's pretty much what they always do on the replay. So the replay is not changing. It's just the initial live version based on when it's airing. So is the replay like you have Nitro, a basketball game, and then uh, Nitro. The Nitro. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's no, that's right. not surprising at all. Uh, that's not surprising at all. The, the ratings there. It's What's weird is the weirdest part of all of it is the fact that when they're head to head, their numbers are way better. But I know the time change, but come on, now it had to been promoted. There's probably commercials running on TNT all the time. They're probably talking about during basketball games. Hey, Nitro's on his seven this week, so I'm sure they're getting it out there. So that's it's just that's seven's not an ideal that. time to be on TV. Period. I agree, but I mean, it's just I, I'm pretty sure I don't remember these Nitros like as if they were yesterday. But I was probably pretty pumped that I could watch Nitro at seven and then be able to watch Raw in its entirety at nine. Yeah, no, like I said, I remember this era very fondly, but I also remember missing last week's Nitro because it was on at seven and I just didn't realize it and I wasn't paying attention enough to the time. And I was like, where the fuck's night? You know, yeah, so it does does happen to even the biggest wrestling fans because I was a huge wrestling fan. Yeah. Uh, but like it only happened that one time. I'm sure you tuned in this week at seven to be ready. Well, it's very, it's very likely I did. But like it went down from the first week to the second, so you figured by the second week you'd at least have a pretty good idea that we're starting at seven instead of nine. So well, no matter what, it doesn't take long for Nitro to come back and right, right. And my other takeaway was I wonder if this gave Vince and them like a a false sense of security. Like, oh look, we're we're kicking their ass. Ah, <laughs> <we're laughs> Bell. And then I don't know that NWO Vince is looking at. I, I I still feel like Vince is not looking at this like that at this point. I just okay. I don't know. I don't know. That's my opinion. I just don't think it's like that yet. I don't. I agree with you because just he's not making reactionary decisions 
he's not in panic mode yet. Like he's, you could tell he's just going with what he had on paper two months ago. Like this is right. what he wants to do and filling in for injuries and whatnot. So he's clearly not just making decisions based off a whim because Nitro's kicking their ass, but they're probably feeling pretty good after this. But Well, yeah, I mean, Meltzer, Meltzer points out that the shows are not head to head right now. Nitro at seven raw at nine. But it still was the biggest margin of victory as far as ratings go for Raw at this point, uh, 4.1, yeah. 1.9 or whatever. Also, the WCW slot switch is during the all-important May sweeps, which is huge. May sweeps is, that's your go-home. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's one of the biggest sweeps of the year is, is your May sweeps. So Nitro's kind of in a, a crap situation as far as when they're airing right now. But we'll talk about the real winner here. Is it WWF or is it WCW? Raw had a solid wrestling show throughout. Nitro had a Nitro show <laughs> throughout. I put on my notes here. This was a tough one because I thought both shows were really good. They were even. It felt like an even week. Uh, they had some good action. Nice continuation of the stories leading in Slamboree. Uh, you had Savage snapping off. But I thought Raw had like three or four solid matches. Yeah. And they started their build towards the next in your house. So we got some matches already. Yoko and Vader, Taker and Cold Dust, Bulldog and Sean. So they're really building towards that next uh, in your house. I was like, it's a wash. But if I had to pick, I would go with Raw. I just like the matches a little bit better there. Because I think yeah. Mero and Kid kind of cancel out Malenko. Like they cancel each other out. Mm-hmm. And so that leaves me Undertaker and Owen, which I would take that all day over Giant and Duggan. And then Bulldog and Fatu is about similar to Sting and Regal. So uh, it was a wash. It was a really, really good week of TV for both companies, I think. Yeah, and I'll agree. I think both both the shows had solid wrestling, TV wrestling matches on them. They were both solid TV programs, period. Um, so I will slightly lean towards Raw myself as well. I feel like overall it probably had a little bit more polished programming than nitro did nitro you know had that little bit of all over the place kind of shit at times where i'm kind of questioning where are you going exactly do you know whereas raw was just more polished overall so i'm gonna go with raw in that that respect and hey man samu's slinging rocks so i mean that's shit. right yeah i mean i think it's a little bit anyway especially in that era like <laughs> oh my god I love it. I love good it. Good times. Good times. <laughs> this, will be the, this is the only time we can talk about it. So yeah, because they disappear and we never see them can. again. So, yeah, we yeah, got to talk about as much as we can. Got to enjoy it. Uh, but, oh, yeah, I gotta, I'll, 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 it's a slight lean towards Raw just because I felt it was a more polished television program. But either show was really good, solid. I mean, just typical TV wrestling. If yeah. People our age might know what that means. I don't know if they do nowadays or not. I have no clue. But. It was uh, good for wrestling, for TV wrestling that week. We were very lucky, no matter which show we watched. So we're very good. We got there. to watch both of them because they were yeah. on at different times. Mm-hmm. So, well, we'll just and, ignore the the ex wife of a former pro wrestler. We'll just ignore that happening. Yeah, I just kind of that's probably the, the worst thing. Segments uh, here. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just kind of not. I don't didn't really pay attention to the Bulldog Sean storyline. Like, it might have been the first storyline in the history of wrestling. Where I just kind of, and I'm not saying other ones weren't just as shitty or even worse at times. I'm sure they might have been, but during this storyline, I would just stare at the ground when it was airing. Yeah, I would just go, "All right, can we just like when this ends, can I look up and watch them wrestle?" Because that's right, what I want right. to get to. Like, I don't. This is so lame. Oh, he's a he's a woman. You know, he's a womanizer, and 
it's cool in ECW, you know, if Rick Root's picking Francine up in a 69 and eating her out while he's walking her backstage. I mean, it's a different uh, context of life, I guess. But here in the WWF, <laughs> it's like, Sean, Sean Michaels ruined my family. You know, it's oh like, this is, this is, I don't We're need... just like, yeah, ECW, you can molest somebody. Yeah, okay, you can do whatever you ECW. want, because you're Rick but... Root, too. I mean, uh, Francine's she panties were a famous segment every week, so. Uh, hey, you know Francine. You know she's she was dead. she was cool with that. Not like not with that. No, absolutely not. <laughs> she still gets hot over that. So um, my friend forewarned me. There's two things you don't talk about: Tommy Rick Green Rude. pulling down her dress and Rick Rude taking advantage. And uh, I didn't bring it up, so right. <laughs> um, she did not appreciate that, and she was not a fan of it. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, could have fooled the TV cameras, but it is what it is. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh, Rick Rude. God love you, Rick Rude. It takes balls to do that on camera. Uh, it takes <laughs> ego to do that on camera. Back then, it didn't take oh, a whole lot. Girl. You could do whatever you wanted back then. But yeah, oh yeah, different world. Just go down on a woman <laughs> on camera in front of ten thousand people or two thousand people. I should say it's ECW, and, and we don't even edit it out on the tape. We, we just leave it on for. Let's TV. just sell this shit on TV. <laughs> Let's just do this, Joey Styles, and you just commentate right over it. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, good stuff. <laughs> good time, EC Dub, EC Dub, EC Dub. All right. Yeah, on word. that note, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> that's another year and another promotion. Right now, we're in the Monday Night War. We're really getting deep in the Monday Night War. We're a couple weeks away on the Money Warfare Show from getting into two-hour episodes of Monday Nitro. At which point. The episodes of Money Warfare will become one-week episodes, so we'll be doing one week of Raw, one week of Nitro at the time to give the proper amount of time to just kind of go over all the news and everything going on with the upcoming NWO and all those good things. But for right now, we're sticking with the two-hour uh, slot, and we're doing the Patreon show, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, Slamboree coming up, WrestleMania in the books, In Your House, Good Friends, Better Enemies. So all that good stuff, and we're going to keep going with that. We're going to talk about Bash the Beach, Great American Bash, as they evolve, and then King of the Ring and everything so on with the WWF as well. Steve, I appreciate yeah. you being here for Monday Warfare. More news next week, guys. We're going to talk more about the Ric Flair, Randy Savage storyline. We're also going to talk in depth about the nonsense and childish behavior, Steve, during the recent WWF European tour, mostly involving the click, if you can imagine that. I'm shocked. <laughs> and why Sonny was sent home early. Huh. Uh-huh. You can yeah, only it's imagine. It's getting deep. It's getting deep. Uh-huh. To quote the Macho Man, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So- <laughs> Lord. Sonny well, said it was getting deep. We got something deep. to look forward to next week. Yeah, yeah, Sonny said it was getting deep, too. So. Uh, shocker there. Anywho, for you only fans out there, uh, we will be back. <laughs> Next week, more Not Monday on Warfare on the way, Steve. We're in May 1996. We're headed to two-hour Nitros. The NWO right around the corner. It's going to be a fun time in the history Can't of professional wait. wrestling. Business going to take off. So we will be back very soon. More Monday Warfare on the way. Steve, thank you so much for joining me again for another edition of the show. Absolutely, man. It was a blast. I had fun. Had a great time, guys. And we'll be back again. Like I said, uh, stay tuned for more Monday Warfare. Please go check out all those pay-per-views, the watch-along series on Patreon, $5 all-access tier. We had so much fun doing all those shows. Lots of great new oh, content yeah. there. 
You guys are not going to want to miss that out. And more 1993 stuff coming your way, too, as part of the grenade, the WWF. So we'll be back there soon again. And, guys, please stay tuned. More Monday Warfare on the way. Thanks again, Ray Russell, Steve Axtat, saying see ya next time here on Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. (laughs) 